What the f is David Lynch doing? He's just sitting He's on just the corner of La Brea and Hollywood with a f***ing cow. <laughs> I went out with a cow um, and a placard uh, for uh, Laura Dern. And it was, you know, a necessity because I didn't have the money to buy ads in the trades. And it brought awareness. If you want to see the greatest performance of 2006, check out Laura Dern's performance in Inland Empire. Again, and welcome to another episode of a thousand and one by one where normally we take a film out of the book a thousand and one movies you must see before you die discuss it analyze it and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book that is not what we're doing today and I'm very very pleased scared excited uh, maybe uh, purposefully vague to keep it Lynchian about what we're doing today uh, and we are doing our first uh, definitive director ranking of the season. If you're sticking with us from last episode, we covered Eraserhead. We're sticking with Lynch. And we are going to rank all 10 of Lynch's feature films. Uh, so this is our first list. So uh, kind of kind of lead us through this. Um, Britt, I want to start with you um, because I know Joey is a, is a, a frequent maker of lists, uh, maybe, maybe in life as well, but also over at, at Best Picture Cast. How how are you feeling about this this endeavor that we are about to uh, embark on? I actually found it fun. Um, I haven't visited David Lynch in a very long time, mostly because I came into David Lynch when I was very young. Probably, like I think seventeen is what I said in um, our last episode of Racerhead. If you haven't listened, you should go listen. And so I haven't watched most of these films in years at least a couple of years and there are two that I hadn't seen at all so this was such a fun way to revisit David Lynch and um, my my bestie Katie I, I see a lot of movies with her and I was basically just giving her my running commentary throughout because you know she she deals with it all the time I love giving her movie commentary and she sent me a message back and she said it's been so much fun to watch you fall in love with David Lynch all over again throughout these text messages I would send her, I would be like, I know you're working. You don't have to respond. I just have to tell you these three things that I saw while I was watching Wild at Heart, you know, so. Well, and and definitely, I, I, be, I, I want you to be, uh, do your best, Lynch, and be vague, because I don't know what those two films are that you haven't seen. So uh, let's, let's, I'm going to uh, pump the brakes there a little bit. Joey, how are you feeling about this, this Lynch list? So like you said, I, we rank a lot of things at Best Picture Cast, so I'm used to making really hard lists and cuts, and this was a very surprising one. As I was watching them and then put it together, I'm even right now I'm looking at things and I'm pretty blown away where they've seen where they ended up. Because some of these I'm quite familiar with. Some I had to track down from people I worked with at Best Buy 15 years ago to find a DVD. So <laughs> kind of covered the range of knowledge here. So it was. It was quite an experience, and good, bad, or otherwise, I'm very happy that I have the entire David Lynch filmography in my back pocket now. 
Yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, I, I, there are, you know, some of these were movies I haven't seen in quite some time, kind of like, kind of like Brit here. And some of these are movies that I, like kind of want to go outside and bury and just never really revisit again if I, if I don't have to. Um, but there is something, and no, this is not the first time that we've that this has been done on the show. We did it with um, uh, first couple times with we did it with Christopher Nolan and David uh, uh, David Fincher. We did it with. Uh, Alejandro Gonzalez in Aritu, we did it with Sofia Coppola, and we've done it with Sam Mendes. And each time I do one of these, it really, like, even if there are movies that I watch where I'm like, oh, God, never again. There's something so gratifying about having watched the scope of somebody's work and then doing your best as an outsider to go, like, well, not just how these rank, but, like, where they were and what's going on and and thematically kind of what they're trying to say. And... um, yeah, so so I, I I can't wait to to get into it. Um, it's also crazy when you're you know because with Lynch you're going from seventy seven to two thousand and seven like you're going thirty years so it's a really interesting just evolution of a person. It's a big yeah. gap of time. For sure. Um, so in in all of the the Lynch watching that you that that you that we've all done. Um, did either of you two watch um, a documentary called The Art Life? That's the one on HBO? So I I don't know, actually, where it is. Because I watched one on HBO. Let me go find the name of it. It was... Art Life wouldn't make sense. I meant to, and, um, you know, real life got away from me, and I couldn't dedicate all of my time, unfortunately, to David Lynch. Um, I, I, I will say... Just for the record, uh, this this listing came at a really good time. I I've been on winter break, and my first day of classes is actually today, um, so I've had uh, a good amount of time to to read and and hop into special features and stuff. So it's it's yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the art life I watched. It's the one on HBO Max right now. Okay, cool. Uh, it, of course, because it's me. I have a Criterion collection. Of, of course, it. you um, do. But so yeah, I, I mean, would it, expect I, nothing less. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but it's great because it actually it, it is a pretty good self kind of portrait of Lynch um, that goes basically from uh, you know his adolescence to Eraserhead, and um, and I'll kind of I'm kind of thinking about kind of using that to sort of uh, chronicle our way through the man that is David Lynch a little bit. So just a brief brief little bit of history about him. So uh, David Keith Lynch uh, was born on January 20th. We're just recording this just a few days before his birthday. Happy birthday, David Lynch. Happy birthday, David Wonderful Lynch. Wonderful timing on our part. Our planning is impeccable. We're there so good at this. Uh, it, we are amazing. Um, so uh, he was born in Missoula, Montana. Um, and then it's so great because I... I so he also lived in Sandpoint, Idaho for a good stretch, which is amazing because my dad lived there for 10 years. So if you haven't been to Sandpoint, Idaho, I highly recommend it. It is a fun summer town. Lots of shit to do. Lots of, you know, tchotchkes and little, you know, antique shops to go visit. Um, and then, of course, he moves to Spokane, Washington. Again, ah, Spokane. That's right on the other side of the mountains. Just a nice little trip over I-5. Um, and he, he really, he describes his adolescence as, um, like, just a lot of fun. He, he vividly recalls a story about digging a a uh, a big dirt uh, hole in the yard, and his mom would fill it with water, and he would just play, and that was his life. Um, something that would happen early on that I think is really interesting is that um, he was never giving color. He was never given coloring books. Um, My favorite story from the book, from the yeah, documentary. I, I, 
his mom thought it would limit his creativity and, he, and she could see that he could draw. So from, I think from like the age of four or five, he was never allowed coloring books. He was just given paper. And so uh, he was kind of allowed to let that imagination flourish. Uh, his dad, now his dad worked for like the National um, Forest uh, Service. And so at some point uh, he took out a desk job. The family moves to Alexandria, Virginia, so he could be close to DC. And that's when Lynch starts to get a little, uh, little not so thrilled with life. He kind of takes a bit of a turn, uh, but he, he falls in love with art um, and something that, that in the movie they refer to as the art life, which is so great. I'm going to quote this. The art life for anybody interesting is that you drink coffee, you smoke cigarettes and you paint and that's it. Maybe girls come into it a little bit and that's the art life. That, that is what he refers to it as. So um, basically his, his foray into art is, uh, is painting and drawing. And that's really what, uh, Gets in, that's what he does for a while. He uh, attends art school for a little bit, and uh, he, he fucking hates it. Uh, so him and Jack Fisk, uh, who would later be production designer and later go on to marry Sissy Spacek uh, and would ultimately become his brother-in-law for a short period of time, um, uh, they go to Europe thinking they're going to stay there for three years. They stay for 15 days. They come back. He tries <laughs> art school again. Uh, you know, But then eventually he moves to, he moves to Philly. And despite it being sort of a decrepit uh, part of town and like really, really kind of slummy, he says it was perfect for him at the time. It was good for Lynch, even though he lived in fear. Um, and then eventually he started to say, I'm moving paintings with sound. Um, so we started getting into sort of creating these little short pieces. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about his short films um, in a sec. And then eventually, in 1967, he meets Peggy. He starts making short films. He was fortunate enough to get uh, a grant to go to the American Film Institute. And my and my unsung hero, Tony Villani, goes, "You should go to the Center for Advanced uh, Film Studies," and he does. And then he he starts to make movies. Um, and that's that's kind of gets us to him. He, you know, I, I, he's I don't know how else to say this. He's been married a bunch. Um, so is so, my grandma. There it Some is. Some people just like to marry. It's very true. Um, Some people so, love being so, in love. <laughs> yeah, they love being in love, and they they love to love many people. Um. So and he has he has multiple kids with multiple partners. Um. So uh, he marries Peggy in uh, January '68. He has uh, one daughter with her, Jennifer Lynch. Um, who also would go on to be uh, a film director. Uh, they filed for divorce during the uh, the making of Eraserhead, which we hinted at before. Uh, later on, he would marry uh, Mary Fisk. They would have uh, one son, Austin Jack Lynch, who would go on to appear in a, an episode or two of Twin Peaks. Uh, yes, he which did. Is, which is funny. He, uh, they divorced in 87. corn. That's Sorry. <laughs> No, no, that's perfect. Um, uh, Lynch would develop a relationship with Mary Sweeney, who would be a producer and editor and writer uh, on mult on a bunch of different projects. They had a son together. Um, they were married for like a sneeze, and then they got divorced. Um, and he is currently married to uh, an actress named Emily Stolf Stolf Stolfly Stoffel. I don't want to say her name. I apologize to her. Um, and they have a child together named Lula. And in the documentary, Lula is like three or four, and she is just fucking precious. Adorable. Um, oh, it's just it's just so sweet. Um, he also he he did also have a, a relationship with Isabella Rossellini for quite a while. Yes. Um, and she originally was supposed to be in Twin Peaks, and then as 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 one of the characters, and then they broke up, and and someone else was hired. 
as it as it happens as it goes um so and that's 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 a whole lot of information very quick um and sort of as as I kind of just launch through that, I, I know we, we kind of covered this with Eraserhead, but I just want to kind of revisit it again. Um, let's see, I'll start with Joey this time. Um, so when did you first come to Lynch? Mulholland Drive. Um, so I was like 17 when it came out, did not see it in theaters, but right when it was released on video, rented it from Blockbuster up the street, and that was kind of the first foray into it. Watched that movie a bunch, I mean, yeah. My the only difference about what what you just said was that you're you're just slightly older than me and that I went to Hollywood Video. That's literally the only difference is, is that uh, because that's yeah. Um, and Brittany, now I thought was it Twin Peaks or was it Eraserhead? Okay, it was Eraserhead. First, okay, yeah, yeah. No, in um in the last episode, I said when I was seventeen, I watched Eraserhead at a um like a, a sleepover with my friends. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but after that, <laughs> I, I was just kind of, yeah, well, you know, I'm a bit of a weird one. So uh, I found my people at some point. But um, so after I watched Eraserhead, I actually, the next thing that I watched by David Lynch was Twin Peaks. My mom mentioned it to me because I was, I, I believe it was my mom. Um, I said, you know, I'm looking for something new. And she said, oh, I think you actually might like this show called Twin Peaks. It's based in Washington. It's actually based uh based up in Snoqualmie and we had gone to Snoqualmie recently so I thought oh yeah I'm absolutely gonna watch this I created a Netflix account and started paying for it out of my own money because I was working at a dancewear shop and as a dance teacher at that point and I uh, it was my first big purchase other than my first phone and uh or my first like iPhone and um yeah I, I watched Twin Peaks and then after that I I didn't really see a lot of no, I guess I did. I guess then after that, my, my bestie Katie and I started just going through David Lynch. So probably when I was between 17 and 20, I devoured everything that I could minus two films. There you go. There you including go. all of his shorts and stuff that were available well, at the time. And, and that was the next thing I was. So there's there was. Uh, so obviously we're, we're just ranking the feature films. Um, so, Britt, it sounds like you've, you've seen at least some of his short films. Yeah, the alphabet is absolutely my favorite. Holy smokes! Yeah, those are. Uh, whew. Yeah, I, 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 I didn't revisit the short films for all of this, but I, uh, there's a bunch on the Eraserhead um, Criterion, and um, they are. I mean, they are just uh, nightmare fuel. It is just yeah. uh, they're terrifying. Um, as as is a lot of his art, um, and it's it's funny because I. I think if you just come to Lynch, obviously through film, and you leave it at that, you don't really you don't really know that about him. But he really is, um, a, and I don't want to even say a painter. He is a he's a visual artist, and his stuff is is really interesting. Um, part of uh, part of what grabs me about a lot of his art, and I don't have anything specific, but that the art life shows a lot of his stuff. It's just the it's not even the images, which of course some I, I can be very disturbing, but also in a, in a beautiful way. But it's the phrases that are on them. Um, he's just got some of the most inane wording of things that I just I find so discombobulating in a way that that draws me in. Um, so yeah, he's he, his his art uh, is is very interesting. And I feel like that discombobulation, that's what he goes for because he wants people to think about it and he wants people to create their own ideas about what 
this art means. So he is purposefully vague so that we can all have our own truths. He wants us to have those. And I think that's so interesting as an artist and as a filmmaker. He he doesn't want to explain it because he wants you to create your own ideas. And and I think that's beautiful. I think it's it's a way to make something your own. And I, I just really appreciate that. In in the art life, he talked a lot about his experiments. And I thought that was awesome because he was just doing these like ridiculous things, seeing if they would work and if not, like he's just trying different ways to kind of express himself. And I really respect that. He was just sitting outside with a hose at one point doing different things. And like, good for him. Like, that's oh, awesome. There, there's an amazing story and I won't do the whole thing, but uh, of his dad coming to visit him in Philadelphia and him and, and him wanting to show his dad all of these things that were in the basement, some of which were just like, food rotting and like dead bugs and animals and uh as as he was driving his dad back to the trade station his dad's basically like you need to not ever bring peggy down there it concerned <laughs> like he had a genuine concern for his son and the the um and then the immediate thought i had was like david lynch is is jeffrey dahmer but without the suicidal or like the homicidal twist to it like because there are so many like a fascination with just dead animals and like and how things work it it was it was kind of creepy <laughs> it is so interesting you bring that up um did either of you read the david foster wallace uh essay that he wrote about being on set for lost highway no no and it, he goes into Lynchian, which is really fascinating. I'll send it to both of you. I think it's I, I'm also a very big David Foster Wallace fan. So it was just kind of interesting to, you know, read something that one of my favorite authors wrote about one of my favorite directors. And in it, he talks about Lynchian. And it really from this essay, this that's where the idea of Lynchian came from. Um, and he describes he describes Lynchian as like Dahmer is Lynchian because of the things that he did to his victims, unfortunately, whereas Bundy is not because Bundy was a lot more straightforward with it. And the fact that you just brought up Dahmer right now, I was like, well, Foster Wallace was really onto something there when he said Dahmer was more Lynchian than Bundy. Well, and I and I don't know if I would have actually put that together if I hadn't watched the the, the miniseries that was done. Yeah. Um, which of course is we're not going to talk about that, but it, you know the fact that that's that's brought up, I I couldn't help but make. I mean, it was it was enough of a of a synapse connector. I was like, oh shit, look at that. Um, and it was so funny during the documentary at that scene, they're showing like cuts of bugs, and he's like, yeah, because his dad also told him don't have kids, and he's like, you know, I agreed with him, but not because of what he thought I was doing. I was just doing experiments, but yeah, I shouldn't have had kids. And then next cut, it's. <laughs> Is it's Jennifer and Peggy, and it's just hysterical. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a and and yeah, that documentary is great because there's, there's not a lot going on, but it's 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 very informative in a fun way. It's mostly just him talking. He's just an interesting yeah, human to listen to because he's just so outside the box. When it started, I was like, oh, this is just him. There's no talking heads with it. This might be boring, and then it was over, and I was kind of wanted it to be a little bit longer. I, I didn't watch that documentary, but I did watch a lot of interviews with him, especially interviews about his films, interviews with, oh, there was one he did with Naomi Watts about Mulholland Drive that I found so riveting and I just really, yeah. oh, I loved it. But there's something so, and, and I don't think it's innocent, but there's some type of innocence that comes from David Lynch that just is so pleasant and so like... I think the word that I kept coming up with 
is is a curiosity. There we go. That's a far better word. A curiosity with him that's just so palpable. And, and, it just and, draws you in. And his his unwillingness to to essentially I, I don't know how else to phrase it to play by I guess the normal rules of filmmaking and producing and like the fact that he just wants to tr- try. It's so there. I I really don't think. And this is a big statement. I don't know if it's true, but like I don't think there's anybody out there quite like Lynch taking no. these kind of swings. I mean, you could you can kind of hint at maybe people kind of like that, but nothing nothing quite like this. And nothing no. that's in the public eye for thirty years. Maybe people do yeah. one and done, and then okay, now they're kind of falling into line where he's just going further and further, doing whatever he wants. Well. And it's interesting because there are certain people that just do not like Lynch at all and cannot get on board with any of his movies. And for the most part, like, I probably wouldn't suggest Lynch to people unless I knew they enjoyed surrealistic, violent, sexual, crime-driven things that are going to make a commentary on something. But I was talking with my sister on the way here, and I mentioned that we were doing this tonight, and I said, oh, you know, we're doing David Lynch. And she goes, I have no idea who that is. And I started naming (laughs) off a few of the things. I was like, oh, Twin Peaks, um, you know, this and that, Mulholland Drive. And she goes, oh, I love that film. And I didn't expect that. I didn't think that she would like it. And I thought, oh, actually, David Lynch is a little bit more attainable than I think he is. I think I kind of put him on this this odd pedestal of I don't really want to introduce him to people but he does have a vast in those 10 films he has a, a pretty vast array of of genres and and I think that he's he is attainable if you kind of let yourself go while you're watching him well and the the critic I mean I, I there's many things we could we could laud about him but he in those 10 films he has three nominations for best director um, so as somebody who makes these these films that are definitely off the beaten path to have to have that is pretty impressive. And, and for yeah. somebody who doesn't play by the rules that a lot like a Spielberg might play by Lynch is not not doing that. Not only does he not play by the rules, but he makes films that are commentaries on the business that he's in, like oh, yeah. scathing commentaries, which yes. we will get to. Absolutely. Um, so the, the, the last thing I wanted to mention before we kind of actually get into the list, and we, we either can delve into it here or we can wait, which and the last big thing, because we won't really be talking about it, is is Twin Peaks. So do we want do we want to save the Twin Peaks conversation for when we get to Fire Walk With Me, or do we want to have the sort of the Twin Peaks conversation now? Probably Fire Walk With Me, right? I think that it makes the most sense with Fire Walk With Me because it is a companion piece. Perfect. That's amazing. So, um, so we're, we're going to be, we're going to get to, to, to list time now. So for anybody who's unfamiliar, uh, here's how it's going to go. We're going to go uh, 10 through 6. Um, we're going to pause in the middle and we're going to talk about uh, some frequent collaborators, important collaborators that Lynch has worked with over the course of his career. We'll hop back to five through one. Uh, we'll all revisit our lists and I will do some quick math and we will at the very end give you the definitive 1001 by one ranking of David Lynch. Um, and, I'm and so excited. I, and I, I, I guess because I, I've taken charge and because uh, of of you know, formulas that I will not explain to both of you, which I'll actually explain right now. Uh, Joey makes lists so often, Britt, I thought you could lead us off. Can you? How dare you? Can you I think lead that's us fair. Off? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's so fair. This is rude. how it should start. 
We're fighting now. How dare you do this? Ah, oh, shit. Ah, oh, shit. It's lists okay. and rankings. If you're not fighting, you're not doing it right. Right. <laughs> that, that, okay, that's fucking fair, man. That's fucking fair. So, David Lynch has done 10 films, right? So this is actually like a nice, a nice one through 10 list. So at number 10, I have Dune. Okay. Joey. I think what is anyone, it your number 10? I think if anyone's ever heard me talk about anything, Dune is at 10 hard. Okay. Uh, well, I, I don't know if this has happened so fast, but I guess we're going to talk about Dune right Hell now. Yeah. Uh, because, because Dune is also m- my 10. Are we going to talk about Dune or are we going to say David Lynch has disowned this film and we should probably just let it slide away into uh, the nether and never talk about it again? I think we should take a few minutes and uh, and, and let, let's put Lynch just over here for a second. And, How and, dare and, you? No, 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 no. no. Well, but I, <laughs> no, I want kidding, to put him kidding. over here because I want to I want. Can we can we talk about the things that are just awful about it just for a second? I, oh, I like to just please. Um, so. I, I, and obviously we we've all seen it and uh, it it exists and it's out there and ob- and obviously there's the newer Denis Villeneuve one and there'll be a part two. Um, the, I didn't like it. <laughs> the thing that I, I I thought the effects were okay. That but I I'm also uh, uh, I don't want to get on a Chalamet conversation. Uh, but that's that's just a big thing for me. Dune, David Lynch's Dune. Um, the the VO is so bad. <laughs> the voiceover is just. So, and I understand why they why they had to do it in a in a sensical way, but it is it is atrocious. I don't like voiceover, anyways. I don't like narration for the most part because it feels like a cop out unless it's done really, really well. And it the, nothing in this film is done really well, unfortunately. <laughs> so the voiceover just makes it even worse for me. It's so hard to get through. I had to like stop it a couple of times, go make some food, do some laundry. I couldn't sit through it. And unfortunately, I watched it very recently because my husband read Dune for the first time and wanted to watch this movie before we went to go see the other Dune. And I was like... I'm sorry. Okay, let's do this. And I just don't think Dune is adaptable. I don't think there's any reason to try to do that. It's a convoluted narrative to start with, and it follows a really unknowable savior in Paul who's just not likable or interesting. Yes. Oh, God. He's so bad. And and nothing against Kyle MacLachlan, or I guess Timothy Chalamet. But yeah, I, I watched this, and at one point I go, am I supposed to care about Paul? I don't. I, you are. <laughs> I don't at all. Actually, I thought if, you, if you're going to adapt this story, it should be adapted as a miniseries, and each chapter should be a different character that you follow. And you should never follow Paul, because Paul is boring, and he is unknowable, and he is just bad. I watched this last because I was really not looking forward to it. I, I really dislike the new Dune. I don't like the Dune property. Like, that's what I've learned. But one of my big complaints of many of the new Dune is that they took all these solid to really good actors and none of them gave a shit and were all dead-eyed. <laughs> At least in this Dune, they were trying. Brad Dorf's super... He's trying. He's a lot of fun. He cared more than anybody. So you know what? I think I like this than the new Dune. And I still really hate it. 
But I like this Same. more than the new Dune. I I agree with that. I also yes! <laughs> appreciate the fact, like, my one accolade for this is the fact that they didn't have Jessica crying in every goddamn scene. Yes. She cried one time, and that was when her partner died. And I was like, that's fair. That's appropriate. Thank you very much. I appreciated that. Um, I So I did have a, as much as I enjoyed the, like, depiction of Harkonnen being just, like, this deranged, over-the-top villain, I really didn't enjoy the fact that he was queer-coded. That's such an, a, a gross trope that I think we can just, let's throw that out because... We don't we don't need it anymore in, in like we didn't need it to begin with and we don't need it in this movie and rewatching it, I'm like, that's problematic and difficult for me to digest. I um it'll probably shock neither of you two to know that I, I own this. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, Adam. And it, it's all good. Listen, it's all good. It's all good. The, there's a lot of special features and stuff, and I um here's what I'll, uh Harkonnen in four K uh, really lets you see the strings that are pulling him up in the air. Amazing. And uh, it, I, when I first watched this, it was like, a, I could tell it was, it was streaming somewhere and it was a real shitty like DVD level quality. I don't think I caught that before. And I uh, I watched it and I was like, oh, this is, and it sucks because, you know, Lynch is such a an artist and he wants to, he like wanted to get his hands on, on the makeup and the design and things like that. And it's, and we're coming off of, you know, I mean, We've got Star Wars and we've got Alien and and we we have these sci-fi franchises building up and there are parts of it that I I think I, I think part of what, what drew Lynch in is the world building because there's a lot of different locations and, and sets and styles uh, but it just nothing nothing really coalesces uh, very well. The only thing I found out that I was like interesting has nothing to do with the movie at all is that he around this time you know he was considering doing the first Red Dragon adaptation. Yes. Would have been so much more interesting in this stupid property. Oh, I really wish I could see that. But I do love the the adaptation of Red Dragon that we got, the original one. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Manhunter's so good. Uh, He also was up for um, Return of the Jedi or Empire Strikes Back, one of those two. It was Jedi. Jedi. Jedi, yeah. yeah. And he, like, the interview that I saw, I was like, yeah, I just got a massive headache. And then I had to get in this car with with George Lucas. And my headache just got worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and I just wanted it to end so that I could go home. And it just made me laugh. <laughs> I think my, my absolute favorite part of the movie was when... Um, when Toto's score really kicked in, I'm not gonna lie. I got a little bit of like, yeah. I wish, <laughs> I wish, I wish we were driving to something I was on board with. But this, I, I did like, I did like parts of the score. Well, it, I, I agree with that. I think the score, parts of the score, is great. And also, you know, this was the movie that David Lynch didn't have. It, it was where he sold out, as he says, and he didn't have creative control, especially on the edit, which is super important for him. And when he did, and then, and it was probably already going to be a convoluted movie. There's no way that he this what we got would have worked even with his four hour cut. But so much was cut out of it that it just is incoherent, especially at the end. Oh, yeah. Brutal. It it just gets to the point where you're like, why are we continuing with this? Also, the Uh, effects are so bad. Oh, the effects are bad. And as a as a as uh, a stage actor combatant, that knife fight at the end was I mean, it was. Uh, like I'm barely getting by at this point, and when we get to the fight between 
Sting and Kyle McLaughlin. I was I was I was actively upset with how bad it was. I mean, I know we're not doing like, you know, unsung heroes in this, but if I had an unsung hero of Dune, it would be Sting's thong for sure. One hundred percent. Not a bad choice. Not a bad choice. Has to be something. I, I wish I like had something that cool looking. I don't I probably could make one, but um I don't have anything else to say about Dune. I said more than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Well, you know what's great? We don't have we didn't punt it down the road, right? We're done. We're it's done with over. Dune. Bye, All Dune. Right. Uh so so Britt, we're coming around to number nine. Um so I did rank all of the movies that I had seen previously. Oh, and this, I did too. I did too. Wildly different. Wildly different. And this one was different for me. My number nine, Wild at Heart. Ooh. I love. That's amazing. That is amazing. Uh, yeah. Joey, what is your number nine? My number nine is a first watch. It is Inland Empire. My number nine is also Inland Empire. <laughs> so we'll we'll swing around now to number eight. Brittany, what is your eight? Inland Empire. Oh, okay, there it is. <laughs> but I preferred it to freaking Wild at Heart. Well, and we can we can maybe get into that when we get to to Wild at Heart because I am I'm curious we about will. that. We will. Um. So, was this both of your first watches of it? No, it was not mine. You, Britt, but yeah. Joe, it was your okay. So, um, talk talk to me about it, my friend. So this movie felt like to me a college kid who wanted to be David Lynch made what he thought was a David Lynch movie with like thirty bucks. <laughs> the 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 hallway the hallway like phantom scene and the lights and the gun shooting into the sky hurt my heart. Because I really like Laura Dern, the where the 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 part where you know she's like laid out and the guy with the lighter, I don't even know. Blood looked like Kool Aid, like I hated so much about it. And then even when I'm trying to like get into things, the end came and it just, I just did not enjoy any of it. Like the way it was all put together, um, really the biggest thing I would say I, I just with most Lynch movies I really liked the music and the soundtrack of it. Sure. Like, that was my favorite part of it. And that kept me in it at times where I, I wanted to, like, walk away almost because, I, you know, I really like Lord Dern. I really like Justin Thoreau. And I didn't like them here. And that kind of bummed me out. I actually enjoy this movie. Um, but I also think it's one of Lynch's most unattainable films. And I think it's it's probably one of his messiest. And And I think... I love the fact that he didn't go in with a story. He went in with scenes and just wrote them and filmed them and put them together as they went. I actually watched this in two sittings because it's a three hour movie and I couldn't handle doing the first day when I started watching it. I thought, actually, I'm not in the right headspace for this film. I need to let it go for a minute. And I finished it the next day and I left with two interpretations of what I think this film is about. And boy, does David Lynch love a lady in crisis. I, I'm just, women in crisis is like his most common theme. I actually think that this is, so David Lynch has two 
two things that he primarily talks about, right? He's it's either like the death of the American dream or the underbelly of Hollywood. This is absolutely about the underbelly of Hollywood. And how I interpret it, this is the expendability of females and, and people with uteruses within Hollywood, and especially within the film industry, and also the dangers of method acting. So, okay, so the method acting thing, I'm, I'm totally, totally on board with, uh, with you. And, I love that. And it's actually, it's actually, you know, I know there's the famous, like, Lynch out for your consideration, Laura Dern, for Best Actress with the Cow. It's with like, his which cow. Is just, which is just amazing. And part of me understands the idea and it, it, the, as nonsensical and, and hard to I, I, not even figure out, just, just hard to get into movie. I do think that you know, Laura Dern is allowed to do a lot of stuff. And in a way, it's like that's kind of Academy fodder. Um, so, so the method acting thing is amazing. I think that's totally there. Um, a movie that we will talk about later. Um, but when you mentioned the, um, the expendability of uh, females in Hollywood, um, and if, it, yes, it, it, it is in here, but I think because it works better in another movie is I know which part movie you're yep, of the yep, reason why this yep. one falls down. And like there are, the, there, it, it certainly is ambitious, but I also think it's so, I, I, the, I, I'm going to be honest. The reason why this wasn't 10 is because I appreciate the swing. Um, but like it, the, the, the rabbit stuff is so, it's so interesting. Um, I would watch a whole so movie of the rabbits. I, it, it's like it's like the whole movie about the monkey and nope right like i want that i want the movie about the monkey and nope right i want a I want a movie about the the bunny sitcom thing. i'm in on it in on it when <laughs> the when the, when the when the guy walks when the monk when the rabbit walks in with the suit and there's clapping i, I was like oh i hope we stay here and i was so <laughs> disappointed when it turned to a poorly painted green hallway <laughs> I, I i also think that this is this movie could potentially be about audience relationship with film and media and and the inability to separate reality from fiction which we have seen play out recently um yeah if people you just got mad at me on twitter because they <laughs> i argue with people that bones and all isn't telling people to go eat people and people got oh, mad at me that? People got mad at you. I'm not a big Twitter person. I'm not a big social media person. I try and I fail miserably. I'm trying with the Instagram. It's hard. (laughs) Um, But but people do people get really attached to the um, the things that they are are watching. So with the Polish lady who may or may not be a sex worker. Um, she's like completely been shattered by reality, right? And she starts watching Laura Dern on TV that also becomes the rabbits. So what I got from that was, oh, maybe Laura Dern does Laura Dern's character of Nikki slash Sue Blue at some point doesn't exist. And it's all the interpretation of the Polish woman who is is seeing herself in this character. And I think that could be because of the reaction of Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, because people were pretty pissed about that movie and we'll get into it when we get to walk with me. But uh, yeah, so that's the other interpretation I had. But Maybe I think I might be thinking too far into this. Like honestly, it's it's a mess of a film. Well, and 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 obviously, you know, Lynch wants us to create our own, come to our own conclusion. So I don't. And like obviously, I think we could come to any conclusion, and it would be our right version. Yes. I think the I think the method acting is is 
very key. I think it is a whether it's the the sole focus or just a side effect of the story being told. I don't I don't know, but I think the method acting thing is 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 there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Well, take. well in it like Nikki's in a. Uh, like her inability to separate the movie from real life, her allusions to her own life mirroring Sue, her death scene after being stabbed by the screwdriver. It's like, she's obviously disassociating at that time. Also shout out Terry Crews. Did you two notice that it was Terry uh, Crews in there? I did. Yeah. I was so happy to see him. I did not expect that at all. I was like, what up Terry Crews? Why are you in a David Lynch film? This is amazing. And then right after that, the director is praising her performance, even though she is obviously traumatized and like completely incapable of handling what just happened to her. And as a person who has done a lot of theater in her life and studied a lot of theater, and I'm sure, Adam, you have something to say about this. There are a lot of dangerous methods out there for people to re-traumatize themselves over and over and over again for a role. And it's it's something that we should probably talk about in our industry. Yeah, well, and it's funny because a few years before this movie comes out, Charlize Theron wins her Oscar for Monster, uh, where she plays Eileen Warnos. Now, I actually, I, I do think that her performance is really great in it. I think it's one of the best things she's done. And I was I was curious at the time, so, you know, I watched some of the special features when it came out, and... There's a scene, spoiler alert, I guess. Um, she One of the guys she kills in the movie turns out to be like a totally innocent guy who was not out. He was not paying her for sex, and she ends up killing him. And that scene is fucking devastating. And yeah. there's like some behind-the-scenes clip of her having to shoot. And, you know, it's a movie, so you got to get different angles and takes. And when they finally wrapped that scene, Charlize Theron just like collapses. And it's just like inconsolable. Now, is that a product of of method acting because she she the, the makeup and the voice and the tra- like it's all there is it a is that a, is it a product of what the scene is about like in actuality or the combination of the two things it, it it's a it's a weird thing but i do think but but it all loops back to knowing where your bounds are um i've taken t- level one and level two through the this i'm sorry i'll, I'll make this quick of the intimacy director's uh, the industry directors and coordinators workshop stuff. And uh, they have this really great graph about um, comfort zones and how there's, there's comfortable, uncomfortable, and unsafe. And that the comfortable is a, is a small portion and the uncomfortable is the big portion. That's actually where actors want to live because that's where we're kind of pushing our bounds and making choices. And then there's un- unsafe. And that's where we don't want to be, whether it's because of our doing or a director's doing, um, and so I think these conversations are obviously happening, happening more now, but I think when, even when um, Inland Empire was set, I think it, 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 it was definitely a conversation worthy of being, being had. It, well, and that's 2006, yeah. right? And, yeah. and it's 2022 and we're just now kind of like in the last, what, seven years, I feel like the, the, um, we're starting to get those, uh, those conversations out. And, and it just is like, wow, David Lynch, you're so ahead of your time when it comes to these commentaries on Hollywood and the dangers of actors. He actually, which I'll save for later, but he ha he has a, a, a quote about actors and how hard of a life they have. Um, and, and it's not wrong because I've definitely been in situations where as an actor, I don't really do a lot of theater anymore just because it takes a lot of time. Let's be real. 
But I've, I've been in situations where I'm like, I don't know if this is necessarily safe, but I also don't know what my rights are at this point. Like, I don't know if I can say no to this. And that was when I was younger, when I was like 22, 23. And now as a 33-year-old, I'm like, I would slap somebody if they tried to make me do that. And that's only because I'm now not willing to put up with it. And I know it's appropriate for me to say, actually, th- those are my boundaries. And But back in 2006, they weren't necessarily talking about boundaries. And I think it's pretty interesting that David Lynch was kind of trying to bring that up in this film in a weird, convoluted three and a half hour way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I will say my my absolute favorite moment I is the tits conversation into doing the locomotion. I just the was, locomotion. I could not have been more surprised at what I was watching. <laughs> the only thing that annoyed me about that is there was one lady and she was in the middle row. Um, she was off, and in one of the cuts, she wasn't off. So I was like, "Bitch, stay on your fucking line. Like, stay." <laughs> There is a reason why they have formations. But, you know, uh, I can't. She was also very exciting to watch. So she was just getting very into it. So I guess I'll accept. But I loved the locomotion. <laughs> I was so thrilled. Adam, that was your scene of the movie? I. It just came at such a, a good moment. Because it's it's not quite halfway through. But you're, at this point, you're, you've, you're pot committed to the movie. Yeah. And so it was it was something that was like, Oh, it jolted me. It kind of was like, oh, what is happening now? Okay. Fair. Because you never know what to expect. That's true. Always on your toes. Um, I, I don't, is any, any, any lingering Inland Empire thoughts? Oh, I do think that Pearl, uh, the movie Pearl owes a lot to Inland Empire in the fact that that monologue that Laura Dern does also, like, they have very similar scenes. They have a the lead characters are disassociating from reality and living a fantasy of their own creation that's influenced by film. So I, I do think that Pearl owes a lot to this movie in the best way. I freaking love Pearl, and I love that monologue that Mia Goth does. But oh, yeah. that monologue would not exist without Laura Dern's monologue. That's a nice connection. I like yeah. that. Fair. Okay, so we got Brits number eight, Inland, Inland Empire is now put to rest we will next time we hear from it will really be just be when we, we we get the overall ranking at the end joey your number eight so my number eight is david lynch's best job at naming characters in wild at heart okay all right um my number eight is is Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. I know. I know I'm getting it. I'm getting the stare from Brent. <laughs> I will say, just so that you know, it dropped a lot on the rewatch. It it and there's That's a big, fair. There's a bigger That's Twin fair. Peaks conversation to be had. <laughs> um Okay, so we're now uh to seven. Brent, what is your seven? My number seven is eraser head. Okay. Not because I don't love it, but because I think that there are other films that are more interesting to me. Okay. All right. Joey, what is your seven? My number seven is Firewalk With Me. Okay. Okay. I feel like we're still probably pushing off that Firewalk With Me conversation. I think we have some time. (laughs) All good. Uh, My number seven is... 
And uh, previous episode of A Thousand and One by One, it's the Elephant Man is my number seven. Uh, so we're getting to six. We're almost to the halfway point, at least through saying these out loud. Um, Britt, what is your number six? My number six is a movie I had never seen before. Ah. Uh, did not anticipate crying throughout the entire thing, but damn it, David Lynch takes it out of me, is The Elephant Man. Okay. Uh, Joey, what is your six? It is time to talk about The Elephant Man, friends. Okie dokie. Uh, so I, I've said a lot about this. I'm on the record officially through this podcast feed. That's, that's, that's very intense about Elephant Man. Um, so Britt, this was a first watch. Yeah. Yep. Let's lead us off. Uh, so uh, while I was watching it, one of the first things I thought was, oh, there's a lot of influence from M during this film. Uh, oh yeah. Just, just in the way that it was, uh, the, the way that the sets were created, the, I just I just felt a lot of M throughout it. Um, I think this is probably David Lynch's most marketable film. Oh, yeah. I mean, it had what? Eight eight Oscar nominations. It is a straightforward narrative about societal misunderstandings of people who are not like themselves. And I sobbed in basically every scene. It was very difficult for me to get to. I I thought uh, the. I thought that these performances were some of the best directed by Lynch, which was interesting to go back and, you know, read about how uh, some people didn't really get along with him, like Anthony Hopkins, and tried to get him fired because they didn't think that he was up for the job, which is fine. Like, sometimes you just don't get along with your director. But um, I thought that both John Hurt and Anthony Hopkins were empathetic, well-rounded characters. It 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 was great. I really enjoyed it. Um I thought that the makeup was really good. I, I I genuinely just, I liked it. Joey, what about you? What do you think about The Elephant Man? First watch for me. Um, so, you know, anything Anthony Hopkins is in, I'm excited for. I really loved it, um, you know, because I didn't realize I knew the scene, you know, the bathroom scene where, you know, I'm a man. Like, I did not know that that's where this was from at all. Yeah. It's very accessible. It felt like, you know, I didn't feel the lynchness of it, but... um it's a really good movie. It was emotional. It hit John Hurt great. Um, you know, I think it, it made sense through the whole thing. I loved the way it was shot. I didn't... It took me a minute to get my bearings because I was almost waiting for a blue light somewhere. But, yeah, it was just something I got into. <laughs> Where's the blue? Where's the red? Yeah. I'm confused. I was waiting for a blue well, light it's... seizure. So, so Joey, I know that you... <laughs> At the very least, I know that you didn't watch these in order because you saved Dune for the end. Uh, and, and Brent, I, I'll ask this in a second, but I, I was able to, I watched these all in chronological order. Which me too, first, me too. It was the first time I've done one of these and was able to actually stick to that. That's cool. And while it definitely doesn't have that Lynchian uh, surrealist absurdism kind of in it, like overtly, the some of the, like... Lynch loves industry, and we get so much of the coal and the smokestacks and that that sort of lower class of London. Um, he he really likes stars, and we get a lot of it. And directly from Elephant Man into into this, there's some great. Uh, the ending is is uh, just a really beautiful moment um, with the adagio for strings and the Shakespeare and stuff. Um, I still stand by. I think I said this on the pod. I do think that the scene of the upper crust of London giving him 
a round of applause at the opera is a bit, I think it's a bit overly sentimental. Um, I don't think it's bad, but I feel like it's a, it's a bit of a stretch for me. I sobbed, so um, <laughs> it worked really well for me. No, I think that we still, as a society, we like to other people. and Oh, yeah. 100%. Like it's just it's like ingrained in us. Um, just we and and to see David Lynch takes this story that is it, it would it's an incredibly difficult story to tell and make something so poignant and beautiful. It just I was I was I was a wreck. I think I, I had to like sit and be like, OK, I need to like watch an episode of Adventure Time right now because I can't. I can't stop crying and this is not okay. But but I thought that it was it was such a poignant story and the ending I knew what was going to happen but I was like I just want him to live a full life and be happy. And and that that plant and payoff of him saying earlier I wish I could sleep like normal people and then him making making the active decision to do it. Um it it is it's a, it's a real beautiful piece of storytelling of something coming full circle in the in the plot and um yeah, it, and don't get me wrong, I'm definitely not sh- shitting on the elephant, man. No. Because um, it, it, there are, I mean, John Hurt's performance and and the the story, and don't get me wrong, there are some um, fairly broad, stereotypical villain characters, um, but, you know, I, I think small things like that aside, there's a, just a really wonderful story in, in here. I appreciated when the nurse calls out Anthony Hopkins for allowing Merrick to be seen as another sideshow within the hospital because people are coming to see him more as a novelty rather than as a way of of extending their gratitude and their friendship to him. I thought that was a really interesting thing that they didn't have to put in the movie. They didn't have to put that portion of the doctor's story in, but he chose to to kind of show that, hey, even if somebody's helping you, they might not be fully aware of the damage that they're also doing. I thought that was a really uh, interesting and informative commentary. Yeah, I think it's it's smart. It's a good it's a good story that says a lot, and it's just you know got emotional a few times, and that was not what I was expecting going in. So I really enjoyed. I just enjoyed it. I it was the one that I was most unsure of, probably, and I loved it. <laughs> not perfect, but it was fun. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and, you know, that's that's a year where this is where Raging Bull loses to ordinary people at the Oscars. So, I, and I think, in ordinary people, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I, you know, it's kind of a stiff competition that year. But just, just again, a really cool feat that after a racer head, the next film you make is up for Best Picture and you get a Best Director nomination. I mean, that's pretty bonkers. <laughs> and that Especially. Mel Brooks is like, yeah, come make this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I love I the mean, Mel, Mel Brooks, Brooks involvement. Yeah, no, Mel Brooks and Kubrick were both such huge proponents in David Lynch becoming a household name just from Eraserhead. It's kind of lovely in a way. Uh, any any more Elephant Man thoughts? John Hurt, a man, props to him for that makeup. Oh, man, must have that been so be, annoying. It must have been <laughs> terrifying. I would feel so claustrophobic if I had to wear that many prosthetics. Um, so, uh, I, I won't be the, the, the first or last person to mention this movie. I'll be the middle person. Uh, and, and so my six before we, we, uh, get to our break is Eraserhead. So, uh, we are, we're halfway through our, our lists. 
Uh, we've wow. got a, some, some are some are starting to uh, percolate there in terms of the order. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about uh, important uh, collaborators with Lynch. I will not be greedy and, and steal anybody's that they want to go with first. I didn't know uh, who and and there are obviously we could. There's many people we could talk about, but um, Britt, I want to start with you. Just as when you the first main collaborator that comes to mind that's worked with Lynch. Oh, uh, Laura Dern. Mm-hmm. She's a pretty big collaborator with him. Um, she had this really wonderful story about meeting David Lynch and Kyle McLaughlin at Big Bob's Burgers. <laughs> and uh, how she, when she went in, they got milkshakes and fries. And it was before, you know, Blue Velvet. And she saw David was like doodling on a napkin and Kyle McLaughlin is tracing shapes in his ketchup. And she thought at that moment, I realized either I'm in over my head or I love these people and I want to spend the rest of my life with them. (laughs) She was like, and luckily it was the latter for her. And so, you know, she hasn't done everything with David Lynch. He's he's used plenty of other actors, but he does seem to come back to her and and they do have a really beautiful connection, it seems. And I also think it's pretty interesting that a lot of the the female actors that he has worked with seem to want to work with him again and also talk about how safe they felt with him. And I, I, I find that really beautiful, especially in an era where we're finding out so many horrible things that people have done. Does David Lynch have his issues? Absolutely. I'm not saying that. There are plenty of controversies around him that I think probably are, are accurate, especially with his um, his casting. He has very white casts. I think that the diversity within his cast could be uh, uh, updated. But I think that he seems to create a pretty safe environment for especially female actors in very vulnerable situations. So that's the first person I thought of. I, yeah, I, I, I don't really know that I can add to that. That was that was great. And, and definitely on my list. Uh, Joy, what about you? Uh, who do you want to shout out? Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, okay, that on my list as well. <laughs> Every time he popped up, I got a, I reacted so like genuinely, and uh, 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 now I just want to watch him in everything because like he, I really loved what he did in these everything he's in with Lynch. Like I think it's just you know no matter how big or small, it was meaningful. Yeah, uh, and there's a there's a definite like uh, uh, subtle old man lovely energy to th- i mean and they're they're not always old but like harry dean Stanton comes on i'm like ah 100 you <laughs> there's like a comfort there is and then in in, you know in the surrealist you know the surrealist kind of chaos of david lynch having some form of comfort really stood out yeah for sure um so I, I'll stick with actors, and I, I, I know Kyle MacLachlan might be kind of the obvious one, but you got to talk about Jack Nance. You got to oh, talk yeah. about, uh, oh. and it was so funny um, as I was watching because he he had a you know, small role in, in Lost Highway, and, and uh, he passed away before the uh, Mulholland Drive was made. But I, I was watching Mulholland Drive, and I was like, if he was still alive, he would have been the, the the director in the audition room. And I was like, that guy. It's like, that's just fucking Jack Nance. And they didn't have Jack Nance, so they gave it to somebody else. But I was like, you can see exactly, like, I just, I thought, I and he's, it's funny, because I know, obviously, he's not an elephant man, and Lynch is kind of still proving himself commercially. But then after that, until he goes, it's like, he's in he's in everything. Whether he gets cut out or whatever, like, Jack Nance is the go-to, and I love that. The way that he talks about Jack Nance in, in interviews is so 
It's just so lovely. And I keep thinking, God, I hope one day there's a director who talks that way about me, right? (laughs) Like just talking about how wonderful it is to work with them. And, And it's just like, I feel like that's one of those collaborations that you don't get to see all of the time. And the fact that they were so cohesive and so... Like, they just loved each other so much. It just, oh, it, it warms my heart. And so uh, th- there are there are a few more I want to make sure get mentioned. But again, I, let, let's, we'll, do, we'll go through the cycle again. So, so Britt, who else do you want to show some love to? So I might pronounce this last name wrong. I do Ooh. apologize. It doesn't mean that I'm not a big fan. It's just that I stumble over words sometimes. Um, you got to get your hand going. I think I know who this is. Angelo Badalamenti, the yeah, composer. Badalamenti. He is, he, unfortunately, RIP, love you Re- so much, love your work. Fairly Composer recently, on things yeah. like Very recently, like within the last couple of weeks. Um, so Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, The Straight Story. This man could do no wrong, in my opinion. And the way that he talked about, both of them talked about how their music came up. Um, when, when coming up with Laura's theme for Twin Peaks, uh, Angelo talked about how he started playing something and David Lynch would say, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, keep going. Oh, but now, now her body is washing up on the shore. What are the people around? What are they thinking? Oh, continue going. Oh, and now they see that she's dead. And and the way that they collaborated on that music was incredible. You can't, you can't talk about collaborators without mentioning Angelo. I, I just got to say, how dare you for not mentioning his... His, his role as the, one of the Castigliani brothers in Mulholland Drive. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What was I what thinking? He, he spits out the espresso. It, that's just, what a baller move. It's so good. <laughs> so good. I, rewatching that, I thought, yeah, good for you. <laughs> uh, Joey, anybody else? You know, I'm gonna, we're, I'm checking gonna off, we're checking off some good ones. I'm, I'm going to bring up one that I wish collaborated more because I think the one stands out so much. Dennis Hopper. I feel like they should have had some sort of super cohesion because, you know, we haven't talked about it yet, but Blue Velvet, man, I think they could have done some really cool, interesting stuff if they collaborated more. And as I was going through the movies I hadn't seen, I wasn't looking at IMDb, hoping Dennis Hopper would pop up. You know, truth be told, he didn't, Hopper didn't do a whole lot. I mean, even, even after this, I mean, no. speed, I was about to say, he did Speed, and that's one of my favorite movies, so. Speed is fucking amazing. Um, The last one I want to say, because we definitely, we've we've hit a lot of ones I want to, um, because he he shouted her out so much throughout a lot of the stuff that I read and watched, and that's uh, Joanna Ray, who was his casting director, Um, and uh, so he, he, she was the casting director on Blue Velvet, and pretty much from that point on, um, some, some, you know, intermittent things that she didn't do. Uh, but, you know, the way that he, he trusted her opinion so much and the way that he, she, she, she was a friend of actors was something he said about, about uh, her. And, like, uh, Joanna Ray's son was friends with Naomi Watts. And that's a big reason why Naomi Watts was in Mulholland Drive. Um, so, yeah, just want to. And, and somebody who, people who don't often get that much love are the casting directors. So yeah. I want to throw some her way. It's important and she tough job. job. Yeah, because when you nail it, you get Dennis Hopper sucking gas. So, gang, are we are we ready to continue on with the the list? Yeah, I think so. <sighs> Stretch it out a little bit. Let's go. Right. <laughs> I'll take, take a quick sip of water. <laughs> I finished my beer already, so damn it. <laughs> well, I gotta say, 
we're doing pretty good on time, folks. We're doing we good. We're doing good. Yeah, when you get to just dunk on Dune for a few minutes, it really speeds things up. That's right. You're that's like, God damn it. Now I'm just, I'm over it now. now no, I'm just, no, no but so now it's just like happy stuff. things. Because when you start with Dune, you can literally only go up. There you go. It's true. There you go. Uh, so, Britt, coming into the top half, you're number five. I'm going to put a caveat on this and just oh. say that my three to five are interchangeable, basically. I was changing them up until I sat down to record this. <laughs> um, and they're not the three that I expected to be in this spot. Uh, but 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 I shuffled them around, and, and this is where they're landing at right at this moment. So my number five is The Straight Story, the other film that I had not seen. Okay, okay. Uh, Joey, what is your number five? My number five is Eraserhead. Ah, okay, so there we go. Now we're, now we're to Eraserhead. We were, we were all just a little bit off there. Um, you know, anything, I mean, obviously we, we did an entire episode on it. Um, anything lingering? Or maybe, maybe uh, some questions. Oh, yeah, yeah, Britt, go ahead. There is one thing that I never brought up during Eraserhead. Um, so there's a pretty intense theme about coitophobia throughout this that film, which is the fear of sexual relations and sexual intercourse. And we never discussed that, which I think is a pretty prominent thing throughout this film. Obviously, we live in the United States and the United States has an incredibly conservative and I would say problematic view of sex. So... I, and, and especially back in the 1960s, um, it, it was turning, you know, it wasn't really until the 1980s that we got the, like, kind of a lo- the religious fervor behind it. But it's it's just so palpable in this film how much, how, what, I don't know what David Lynch's feelings are towards sex. Are they, like, is he scared? Does he enjoy it? Is it dirty? Like, what is happening with that in this film? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> yes to all of the above well and I think there's such a and and again a movie that, films that we haven't talked about yet but he definitely is so interested in like the bygone era of America and there's something about like 50s nuclear family America where it's like we don't even talk about sex and so having have to separate beds ha, exactly so having <laughs> to watch this watch this guy fumble around like is this what we like what what's what's going on um i i think i think that's absolutely there absolutely for sure that's the I, only thing that we didn't really touch on on eraser head in the previous episode so if you yeah. haven't listened to it go for it friends now uh, we we've talked about i mean i so i pre-ranked these and the only time i'd watched this before like the whole lynch endeavor was when i watched it when i was doing elephant man pre pre-ranking this was this was my number nine Wow. Free ranking this was my three. So so I and I, I just wasn't a big fan of it. But again, I think the research and our conversation really bolstered it, 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 it jumped up in my appreciation quite a bit. I thought it would be higher for me, and then it ended up being at number seven because I was like, you know, it's fine, but it's not my favorite. I was surprised it was at five. I would have thought uh thought it was higher, so you never know. You just never know until you put it down. And then you start finding these small reasons why this thing, you like this more than that, or that works for you. And all of a sudden, the thing you thought was going to be a three is at seven, and you're confused. It's exactly. so true. It was during the last conversation that we had that I realized, oh, you know what? I It's okay that this isn't my favorite David Lynch movie. 
Like that's it's fine that I don't hold it in the same esteem as other ones because it's his first one. And if it's your favorite, that's amazing. I'm so glad. But I think there are other things that he there are themes within this film that he does better in other movies and and expands upon. And he matured and was able to not necessarily make it more palatable or make it easier to understand, but he was able to express himself in different ways that I found more interesting. Well, there's there's a movie we haven't talked about yet where it's the 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 Lynch style I think really blossoms. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, and go back and listen to our episode. That's we'll just we'll we'll say that. Um, uh, so it was it was finally time to talk about Eraserhead. It is now at my number five. Finally time to talk about Wild at Heart. Bobby Let Peru. me scroll back. And 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 so we you know some you know uh, Brit at nine. Yeah, Joey at eight and, and me at five, and I, I will say that th- this this and Eraser had really really close to flipping. I just don't like this film at all. Um, I I'm not a big Nicolas Cage fan, so I'm gonna start that out right there, saying I I I've seen this movie a couple of times before. And I tried to pretend that I was fine with his performance. And his performance pulls me out of this movie. <laughs> I hate it. I love Nicolas Cage very That's much. That's okay. Oh, I own it. But watching Nicolas Cage <laughs> try to point a gun while shooting it, thinking that's how a gun works, is a tough, it's a tough move. Well, and, and, and I by no means can, can justify or defend every aspect of this movie, but the 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 obvious the blatant Wizard of Oz rips oh, yeah. and holes and things. Um, I, I I don't I don't take anything as as uh, realistic. So like the the I don't know the the way that he he handles the gun, just his his demeanor. Every honestly, everybody's demeanor in general. I'm like everybody gets a big pass from me in this one because I think it's like Diane Ladd is just I she's just she's just going for it. Going for it. She's throwing 110. Big swings. I, anytime Defoe was on there, though, I was 100% in on this movie. Like, he now, really worked for me here. Now, I, this, I, I wanted to bring the question up about the scene in the hotel room with Dern. The, um, uh, what is it? Uh, I don't, I, I'd hate to misquote it. Uh, do you fuck like a bunny? Uh, that whole scene where basically he's, He's touching her and basically gets her to say, yes, fuck me. And then he goes, I would if I had the time. And then he leaves. Um, that that scene is, is it, that scene's fucking intense. It's, it, it's, uh, I hated it. Um, because Lula was in so many situations where she was uh, abused in this film. I felt like I didn't understand why they were included. I feel like in other David Lynch films, there are reasons for the, the scenes being there. And in this one, I, it, it didn't elicit any type of response for me. And one of the things that I love about David Lynch is, um, for me, the reason David Lynch works is because his films get under my skin and they disorient me. They fuck with me and they make me question what, if anything, is real. And this is such a straightforward story that doesn't really have me question anything in it. And then the the abusive scenes happen. And I just think I don't I don't think these are necessary. You could cut these and we don't need them like they're they're not doing anything for this story. So I, I it just doesn't work for me. This movie doesn't work at all. 
Um, you know what? Uh, I've just switched it with a razor head. It's not my. It's not my six. Um, and 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 here's the thing too, is there's so again watching these chronologically. So uh, Blue Velvet is is before this, and we we get that insane. So I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I'm, there's a point that insane shot of Dennis Hopper's head basically exploding when yes. the gun goes off. Um, and we get essentially a, a repeat of that moment with Defoe, kind of with the, the botched robbery. And, and the point that you made about the kind of the unnecessary uh, sexual, the, the, the rape and, and everything that, um, that Lula has had to go through in the movie, I feel like while it's still, there are moments that are very entertaining in terms of what, like what's going on. Uh, in some of the other, like the side plot stuff and the the intrigue and the mystery, a lot of this is derivative of what, of what he'll do in other films and what yeah. he kind of did before in Blue Velvet and what he'll go on to do in, in other movies. Um, and th- while I still, I, while I still enjoy Cage, I, while I still, I actually really like Cage and Dern together. Um, I think you For make sure. a, a really valid point. I, my favorite part was when they came across the accident and Sherilyn Fenn was the girl in the accident. I thought her performance was magic, but nothing else really did it for me in this month. So I'll stop talking and let you two talk. No, I just, I, I, I the, uh, the, the, the Elvis stuff was funny. It just, I mean, there's like, Hey, that's my snakeskin jacket. It's, it's a, it's a symbol of my, like, I just, I, I bought the, the world because clearly we're not, we're in a world where he can, he can, get a band that clearly plays heavy metal to play Elvis at a bar at all the girls fawn. Like it's, I think I just buy the silliness. Oh, and, and, uh, uh, Shirley is the, uh, <laughs> the, the fairy god, or the, the, whatever the wicked witch. Yeah. Of the, or not the wicked she, witch. She's the good witch. She's I know, I know, I witch. know, I know. I fucked that up. You did. <laughs> <laughs> and our boy, Harry Dean Stanton in this one. Hell yeah. I loved him. The Elvis stuff was funny because you know, it's just the, that's like the cage weirdness that I just really appreciate out of him. <laughs> That's fair. Um, I wish I could understand. So I think uh, I think that might be it on Wild at Heart. And that's it for our five. Ooh, I can't believe we're on so the top now, four. We are. We are. So, so Britt, you're, uh, we're now to the Mount Rushmore of, uh, of Lynch films. What do you got at number four? It's time, friends. It's time to talk about Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. I'm, I, I got to say, I'm glad it's not any higher. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It wasn't. It actually I was, was at number nervous. five earlier. <laughs> it, it was at number five earlier. I actually had it number two in my original ranking. Wow. And wow. It, I have a lot of opinions about how David Lynch portrays trauma in this film. And I... I think it's pretty spot on, but I understand this is a really divisive film and that's okay. I accept. I accept the hate I'm going to get for this being at number four. Christopher well, so Isaac this, should have been around longer. <laughs> so, um, so I, in terms of the greater twin peaks conversation. So, uh, I know Britt, at some point I'd mentioned to you that I, I had only seen the first season of Twin Peaks before I had seen uh, Firewalk with me. And then I kind of years later, I went back kind of around this time. And I so I I, I only got halfway through season two. I got to be honest. That's because post, season two is terrible. Post uh, 
Laura Palmer Killer Bob revelation. Yeah. Um, it really like when the it tanks when when the the guy goes off into the white cabin stuff. I just it, yeah, it gets real. It gets tough. I didn't see the revelation of the show before kind of finding out who who the the killer was. And there was a, a the the menace and the 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 feeling of dread that I got when I first watched Twin Peaks. It 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 it's hard to after you you've seen the show enough to know the reveal. It this is just a a sad dreadful movie with 15 to 20 minutes of and I'm sorry, unnecessary beginning. The opening of this movie is it is tough. It is it's bizarre. Tough. It's bizarre. <laughs> it could have been thirty seconds. <laughs> so I I watched. I, I'm new to the Twin Peaks world. I had never seen the show. I watched Firewalk with me when we kind of. This was when we first decided we were going to do this. I watched this before watching the season, the show. Ooh, okay. Oh, I did not like it. It didn't make like I just had nothing. I didn't. I didn't know what the hell I was watching. To be completely honest, then I watched the first season, and it moved up. Um, and I ended up not having to get it seven. So, you know, I feel like it moved up in a pretty nice place because it has parts in it that I really, really like. Absolutely, Some parts in it. it's. I, and again, I love the music in it at the at the Roadhouse. That singer man really like enchanted me. So. I didn't come to Firewalk with me for years because I watched all of Twin Peaks. And again, David Lynch left in the middle of uh, the second season because he was so upset that they made him uh, reveal who the killer was, who he had no intention of ever doing. Uh, And they and so he went off to make Wild at Heart, which is probably another reason why I don't like Wild at Heart, because it was at a very (laughs) uh, poor time in his creative life because uh, he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do and anyways and then he came back for the last episode and i don't know if either of you watched the last episode of twin peaks but it is bonkers it is so good the last episode is fantastic and the thing is is they used ideas he had but they didn't know how to utilize them because they're not david lynch and they didn't understand how his brain worked so the second season is a bit of a mess. By a bit of a mess, it's not really worth watching. But the first, the story, the mythology itself is something that I just loved and, and I was so drawn into. And it, it did set up, it was, God, it was like five separate genres in one, right? You know, you had a soap opera, you had a crime drama, you had a fantasy. It was just so many things that should not work together that do for me. So then when you come to Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, people had expectations for this film. When it came out, I did not have any expectations for this film because I knew that everybody hated it. So I assumed I would hate it. I was like, okay, this is going to be a David Lynch film I don't like. Because people wanted answers. They wanted to know what happened next. But that wasn't the story that David Lynch was interested in telling. He was interested in telling you about Laura Palmer, the person that he fell in love with when he was making this this series. And man, does he ever tell you about Laura Palmer. I watched this with my friend Katie, who I have watched so many amazing things with, and the two of us were floored by this film. We loved it, and I still love it to this day, and I know I'm in the, the minority here, and that's okay. I'm fine with that. I'll, I'll sing the praises of Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me to the heavens and accept that I'm going to be up there by myself. 
Well, it's it's so interesting that you bring up the like the initial audience reaction because when I came to it, I didn't I I didn't know that it was so negatively reviewed, and I didn't know if it was going to be like continue the story. I didn't know where it was going to be. So when it was a prequel, I was I was I was all on board, and I I think this is one of his movies that. I think with each watch, if you're familiar with the series, it, it, I don't think it's as rewarding. And while I think uh, the the sequence in the bar, the everything being subtitled and like that experience of being in there, um, is is great. I think that's actually some really well shot, well like just that that whole scene is 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 great. Um, but as a like as a as a as a not that movies have to be rewatchable. It's it's not rewatchable, but not because it's hard to watch. Like the the darkness doesn't isn't what makes me not want to go back to it. It just I just don't. It's like I like once you get this like yeah she had a she had a real real don't get me wrong fucking terrible life and what she had and the fact that she had to create that Killer Bob was created because she couldn't obviously handle what was happening. That's fucking terrible. But like it's also like I think I only need to watch this once, and then I think I'm okay. Fair. Yeah, um, you know, for me it was rewarding, but just because I gained context, like I don't know how much I go back to it. But that bar scene, fantastic. The grandma from Wedding Singer, creepy. Like there was a lot of things that really that I did happy like. Happy Gilmore. A lot. Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. Ah, wrong, wrong old lady. God damn. She also was in a lot of David Lynch stuff. Yes, yes she's yes, great. She was. <laughs> she's great. Um, you know the random mass people. There's just so much going on that um, you know it's fun. I liked it. I nothing that I hate on it. It it, it just felt it did feel like it went on forever. Not as not as forever as Inland Empire, but. <laughs> It, it did feel like at some at one point I was like, all right, I have to be like two hours into this. And I was like, just over an hour. I was like, oh, oh, okay. So when I was researching this movie and especially people's reaction to this movie, I came across a quote by um, a, a one uh, director that's not my favorite. And that's okay. Um, I think he might be a, a, a favorite of somebody else, though. Um, Mr. Quentin Tarantino. And uh, he said, had this to say, and I... I kind of take offense to it. Uh, After I saw Twin Peaks fire walk with me at Cannes, David Lynch had disappeared so far up his own ass that I had no desire to see another David Lynch movie until I hear something different. And you know what? I loved him. I loved him. David Lynch and Quentin Tarantino both use violence in their films. But But the difference, in my opinion, is that David Lynch doesn't make violence look cool. David Lynch's violence is for a reason, and it's because he's telling a specific story. He is telling a story of trauma, and especially female trauma, in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't like to talk about. And it's there, there are people that watched this film and, and felt very connected with the incest story. I felt like it was the first time that they were seeing something that related to their own life on screen. And I know that Cheryl Lee is, uh, she's really proud of that work. The fact that she was able to reach people that aren't necessarily reached in other parts of media. 
Yeah, it does a really good job with the trauma and the reaction to trauma and not making... That's nothing sensational. It's like a pragmatic response to trauma. Yeah, I agree with that. Oh, me too. Absolutely. And I, I, and I, I think... I just think it's handled in the show in the same way. Yeah, no, and I, I realize, agree. and I realize that it's all—it's not from her—it's not from her perspective because obviously she's 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 dead in the first episode, and it's it's the, the mystery around it. Um, but I, yeah, I just it's it's so. This is one of those ones where it's like you, it, it's impo- for me, it's impossible to think about this movie without its relation to the show, and it and that's that's a tough, that's an uphill battle for me. <laughs> And I, I fully agree with that. I think that you really, all of Twin Peaks should be at number four for me, um, probably, if not number one, because you, you have to watch them all together. You can't just watch Twin Peaks The Return and expect to understand what's happening. You can't watch Firewalk with me and and the first one. And then and you, you need to watch them all. They all are, it's, it's like a, a long hundred hour series right there, <laughs> which I'm sorry, don't dedicate your life to it if you don't want to. Um, for me, it speaks to me for some reason. It's, it's probably my favorite show. I don't know why. It, I just love it. I love Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. It, and I will say, did either of you watch the extended like 90 minutes? that they had of additional stuff that was cut. I did not. No, I saw it, but I did not. So it has a lot of what made Twin Peaks so unique and so alive. All of David Lynch's, because this is definitely his darkest film. There's none of David Lynch's strange humor throughout this. And it's because they had to cut it. But there are moments at the beginning where Sarah and Leland and Laura are all sitting around and like having a good time as a family and it's it's nice to see that set up and to see where Bob comes into it and and how it kind of like breaks this family apart. There was this was something that I was going to mention, um, and I, I'm glad you that everything just kind of clicked. And I and, and I, Britt, I'm more I'm interested in your opinion on this, um, because after at least watching the the, the parts of the series that I I rewatched, my my interpretation was that uh that uh oh god the, the mom the mom's name sarah 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 that she wasn't as aware of what was going on the movie really seems to imply that she knows more um and i was curious as to it, whether you saw that or agreed with it or or, or didn't so i think that sarah is has her like instincts as a as a person, a gut instinct of what is happening, and we're seeing that in uh, in Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. But she is getting drugged by Leland, and it's not Leland; it's Bob inhabiting Leland's body because Bob is an actual creature. It's not just a figment of Laura's imagination. Bob exists. Bob yeah. is a, a a malicious being. Yeah. So Sarah is being. She's being drugged, so so she can't trust herself because she she doesn't know if what she's remembering is true or not. It's interesting because in the pilot of Twin Peaks, Sarah immediately knows something's wrong when Laura doesn't come downstairs. And it's kind of hinted at later on in the series that Sarah um, has precognition or Sarah has these instincts that she knows something 
bad is going to happen. So I think that 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 is Bob trying to counteract her psychic abilities. Because then Madison, who comes later, who is Laura's cousin, who also looks just like Laura because it's played by Cheryl Lee, she also has those like feelings and those instincts that Sarah has. So they so I think that she does know because she's a psychic, but Bob is drugging her so that she can't trust herself. Thank you. No problem. Because I, I, I definitely I, in the that was a uh, something interesting I, I thought while watching Firewalk with me. Yeah. Um, that's, on the rewatch, that's what I got this last time. Any more Firewalk with me thoughts? Cheryl Lee is so good. She is an incredible screamer. Is there anybody that is better at screaming on screen? She had to do it a lot. My word. God. The, between the cabin and the train. Jeez. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> I don't know how to segue out of that one. So, Well, it's just a really depressing movie. Like, let's be real. I think it's David Lynch's most depressing film. It's not I a happy one. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Joey, we're on to your four. What do you got here? Go on the other end of the spectrum in a Disney G-rated movie. <laughs> we're going straight story number four for me. Uh, so we will we'll move on to my number four, uh, and I think it's the first time it's getting mentioned, and that would be Blue Velvet. Uh, so we will now move on to number three. Britt, what is your number three? My number three is um, she wore blue velvet. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my, my number three. Okay. Joey, what is your number three? No, I, I, I got to say, and I really do enjoy that this has come down to me a few times, but uh, we get to talk about Blue Velvet now. Hey, there it is. You know, this, this, this went up in my, uh, my, my watch this time, and... Uh, I think I really dug more. I, it's funny too. Watching these chronologically, you, you're coming out of a, you know, a dune hole, and uh, and uh, he what too much? Was that was that too? <laughs> That's amazing. Every time I'm sad, I'm just no, gonna call it a dune hole. That's that got me so good. <laughs> and it's you know it's 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 there's so many great things you know that that uh, the De Laurentiis family kind of kept their word after Dune and he got to make this movie they actually created a company so there's a lot of great background stuff on it and that I I want to read from the and I'm sure you you probably found similar things but I just love the. Um, Oh, explaining Blue Velvet is a tricky business. Discussing the genesis of the film in 1987, Lynch told Cineast that the first idea was only a feeling and the title Blue Velvet. The second idea was an image of a severed ear lying in a field. I don't know why it had to be an ear, except that it needed to be an opening of a part of the body, a hole into something else. The, the ear sits on the head and goes right into the mind, so it felt perfect. The third idea was Bobby Vinton's song, Blue Velvet. And it's just like, okay, so just awesome, awesome random Lynch vibes. And then, you know, I, I think Lynch gets this, and, and I, I want to say it, it has to be around Lost Highway where people just look at Lynch and go, his stories don't make sense. Blue Velvet is a, like, it's a pretty straightforward narrative. Uh, we, and, and it's, it's based, you know, two people kind of stumble into a world that isn't theirs. They play detective until they get sucked into it and 
Kyle McLaughlin kind of becomes obsessed with wanting to be a helper, a fixer, but just wanting to be in the world. And and there's there's real problems to solve and real things to figure out. Are the characters fucked up and interesting and and a little a little quirky? Absolutely. But it's not like the movie doesn't make sense. The the movie makes a lot of sense and. You know, Kyle MacLachlan early on, like, I love the evolution of his character, because early on I'm kind of, you know, I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? By the time the gun jams, I love him, and I'm rooting for him, and, you know, you know, even he talks about, like, kind of then he he grows into the character in um, Twin Peaks. But, you know, I talked about earlier, Dennis Hopper. I, I, I mean, I love him so much. He's so good. He's so violent and chaotic, and then he cries at the song. Like, just such a compelling character. And um, I just wanted more of him every time he was in. The fact that he was the well-dressed man got me. Spoiler alert. Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I find this moving to... I'm really great at speaking today, friends. Um, I find this movie to be so haunting. And like you said, I watched them in order. So this was after Dune. And I just was kind of down on David Lynch at that moment because, God, Dune is a slog. And then I started watching Blue Velvet. And that opening of the white picket fence and suburbia and the dissolution of the American dream could be its own short film. It's so good. And immediately I was into it again. Uh, Fun fact, Blue Velvet was like my second film because Twin Peaks was my second thing that I watched by uh, David Lynch. But Blue Velvet was the film I watched after that. And you can see that this is a precursor to Twin Peaks. Like this is the foundations for what that that series was. But it's we are taught that the nuclear family and suburbia is going to keep us safe, right? It's going to protect us. But David Lynch just crashes that right at the beginning with, you know, uh, Jeffrey's father falling down and suffering from a stroke, a heart attack, some type of medical emergency that no one is paying attention to or able to see. And we go underneath the ground and we see that it's festering and rotting and filled with bugs. And and that's what people do, right? They just ignore the fact that, that suburbia is not going to protect them. Their, people are still going to get sick. People are still going to die. Just because you ignore the festering and the foundation doesn't mean it's not going to collapse. So this film is, it's beautiful. I love it so much. I, I'm so glad you said rotting because I, I lived that moment. I was like rotten to the core. And that's, and it's, it's like that uh, um, Dorothy's apartment is like, it's the core of the city, right? That's the, it's like, it, that's, it's, everything's rotting out, right? And, and outside in the suburbs, everything's fine, right? But if you, you go in and it, it, it's just, everything kind of connects in that way. I think the intro really gets, and this, this idyllic, and, and um, sorry, I just want to read again from this thing um, because I love, when we talk about when the film is set, I thought this was great. Uh, the look of a Lynch film is largely shaped by Lynch's unique relationship with time and the fact that he feels no fidelity to historical accuracy in regard to period styles. In Lynch's realm, America is like a river that flows ever forward, carrying odds and ends from one decade into the next, where they intermingle and blur the dividing lines we've invented to mark time. 
Blue Velvet is set in some indeterminate period where time has collapsed in on itself. At the slow club where Dorothy Valens performs, she sings, a vintage, she sings at a vintage microphone from the 20s, and her place in the Deep River apartment smacks of 30s Art Deco set from The Thin Man. She has a television from the 50s with rabbit ears. Um, uh, the, the diner where they go to is clearly evokes the 50s, and the uh, Jeffrey's pierced ear and Sandy's clothing are distinctly 80s. And there's just so much. It's like, it's, it's a hodgepodge. But it, it, it somehow it works. There's just something about it that really, really works for this movie. I do feel like it follows really uh, O's Blue Velvet for its its unclear aesthetic of when it's from. That's a good. That's a good. Good call. I, I think Laura Dern's character really helps to kind of stay connected to something because it is all over the place with time. But Laura Dern always feels grounded in it when you know it's a straightforward story, but it's not a grounded at any point but lord dern's always good and when jeffrey keeps going back to her i think that really helps keep it even you know the the greaser-esque boyfriend and everything like i think that all that all works and i really like that part i love sandy she's well she it's truly like the one thing that i kept on reading was the the betty and veronica uh, but I think it's really unfair to call Dorothy Veronica because Veronica was Betty's age. So that's <laughs> that doesn't work. Um, she wasn't but, forced but it into is things. This whole, it's just a weird comparison, in my opinion. But um, so in the script, originally, there was a whole scene where Jeffrey watches people have sex while he's at a college party. So when he goes in, so it sets up this whole thing of him kind of being... Um, a bit more voyeuristic, a bit more interested in things that maybe he's not participating in or or doesn't feel like he can be a part of. So it's and that really gave me insight into, oh, Jeffrey's always been like this. Jeffrey's always been interested in flirting with this other side of of things with this dangerous side that that's not necessarily going to lead him anywhere good, but he might enjoy the feelings while he's in it. And I think that it's it's so interesting that even though he is, it's like he has two sides of himself that he he can't really put together until Dorothy shows up naked on the front lawn of his girlfriend's house. A a a a remnant of Lynch's past, uh, a memory he remembers from his days in Spokane, and it's something that clearly stuck around long enough to make it into a movie. You know that Oof. ability that ability to move in, you know, from the you know the normal world and then the very seedy underworld it's it shouldn't be as easy but jeffrey's able to kind of maneuver and evolve he's an interesting character he's a great character and i think kyle mclaughlin does it of he kind of comes into his own um very much. i think especially after dune he had to prove that he was better than dune because unfortunately everybody in dune was just kind of bad and uh it, it, it was nice to see him do something where I thought, oh, no, you you absolutely should be doing this role. You are, are making Jeffrey relatable in a way that I'm not sure he deserves to be. <laughs> man, he I like been. Heineken. <laughs> oh, man. The Heineken interesting, of it I read an interesting article where they talked about Blue Velvet's Freudian beers and how Heineken was the ego Budweiser's the super ego, oh, and, and Pabst PBR. Blue Ribbon is the id. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Here's to your fuck. Uh, Hopper is just all over the place. I mean, Hopper's it, great. It's it's you know, and there was a lot of again, my one of my snooty 
book about movie awards, um, there was a lot of uh, critical buzz and love for Blue Velvet. Um, and as they got closer and closer to like the Oscars and stuff, like uh, Hopper did get a, a Golden Globe nomination, but did not make the cut for an Oscar nom. But this is one of the this is one of the films uh, Lynch was up for director for, which again is really cool. And I think it's it's more important than the Elephant Man one because there's you know some of these motifs and style. Real, this is where it really starts. And it's there's a lot of um, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first um, first time he works with uh, Angelo Badalamenti. And the first time he works with Mary Sweeney, too. So there's like he's he's starting to really forge some of these connections that he's going to continue on with. I think this was the um, this was the movie that was it Ebert that. um, Oh, yeah. Ebert did not like this movie. He hated this film and he actually went as far as to say that is to say like poor Isabella Rossellini for being in this position and talked about the misogyny and how he felt uncomfortable watching it on screen. So how could she feel comfortable doing it? And she kind of spat back at him. How dare you say that? Like I have no autonomy over my own body and how like actually working with Dennis Hopper was great because he, um, you know, like I, he wasn't so paternal that I couldn't feel scared of him, but also he was a great scene partner and I didn't feel unsafe. And I have have to say when you watch the film even though frank is a presence i never felt like she wasn't in control like there are there are films that you watch where you go i'm concerned for this actor like in real life i don't think this was a safe set whereas i didn't feel that way whatsoever watching blue velvet i felt like you know everything that she was asked to do were things that she wanted to do and i do think that's a strength of david lynch when he does show a woman in crisis i think it's my interpretation, at least, is that he is highly aware of violence that people who identify as female or like have uteruses tend to have in the world, both physically and psychologically. And it's palpable. And for a person who has been in those situations of, of violence, it it hits for me. And I, I don't find it misogynistic. Well, and, and I I didn't outwardly find it that way either. Um and I think it, it, it I mean, I think it, it's meant to make us culpable to we're watching it. You know, I think we are meant to go like, what, 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 what am, what am I doing about the situation? You know, um, my favorite Hopper thing, uh, that I read was that he, so he, he's, he's coming off of not, uh, not a great story. I mean, he, I think he, I think he was nominated for Hoosiers. Um, but he's, you know, he's having his battle with alcohol and he comes to set and he's, he's really wanting to like, to give it his all. And uh, I, somebody said that the only time Hopper got mad was when people were late to set and he was, and it was more like you should be doing your job. And I read that and I was like, fuck yes, my friend. Cause like, that's that shit. Come on, just show up. You got one job to show up, fucking show up on time. So I like that. I'm all, I'm all about Hopper on that. I mean, um, Dennis Hopper being timely makes me love him even more because that is very important to me. So. Also in the original script, um, Dennis Hopper was the one who um, suggested the type of gas that he actually um, like is breathing in in the film because it's supposed to enhance your sexual experience. But originally he was supposed to be just like sucking in helium. <laughs> And it wasn't until after like the movie came out that Dennis Hopper went up to David Lynch and went, I just realized how fucking scary it would have been for me to be sucking down helium and then saying, call me daddy in in the film. 
And uh, I, I, I think it works as is. I don't think we needed the helium, no, but I just I, I found that very interesting. I got I got to be honest. If it's helium, I don't know if we're talking about this movie today. Not, not I agree. in the regard that we are now. No, I mean, I it's not know. so high on all of our lists, like clearly high. I don't know. I'm kind of interested to see the cut where they actually did that because it might be bizarre enough that it works. Uh, somebody can do that, right? There's got to be people out there who could just give him like a helium voice for all of his parts. Where's the helium cut of Blue Velvet? That's what I want. <laughs> Please give us the helium cut. I Dave love Lynch Blue. Is never going to give it to us. I love Blue Velvet. I can't handle the helium cut. <laughs> that's that that's you know what that makes a lot of sense. I I don't think we need to. Um. Any other Blue Velvet thoughts? I, this is, you know, it's, uh, it was four for me and three for all of you. So I think I, general consensus is that this is a Mount Rushmore film. This is definitely one of Lynch's top four films. I agree. Uh, yeah. Which is great. Um, so moving on to my number three. Man, God, I didn't, I, I'm the first person to say this movie. Um, that's Lost Highway. That's my number three. Um, so, uh, Brittany, what's your number two? My number two, surprisingly, is Lost Highway. Okie doke. Joey, what is your number two? My number two is Lost Highway. Yeah. Well, this is going to be, this is good. This is good. Good stuff is happening. Um, I, okay. I don't, I really can't even put into words why I, I like this movie so much. And all I keep, keep going to like, it's a vibe movie. It's totally, I, I just get on the train and I'm just like, I just take me with you. Just take me with you. Are we talking about Lost Highway? We are talking about Lost Highway. Oh, we're talking about Lost Highway. Highway. Oh, Great. oh, yeah. Awesome. Um, This was the biggest shock for me because I've seen this film once before. I didn't enjoy it. It was absolutely the wrong time for me to watch it because I found it very forgettable. So re-watching this, I was like, okay, I'm going to put Lost Highway in, whatever. I don't really care. I, I was, I couldn't handle what I was watching. I had to re-watch it immediately after because I was blown away by this film. I loved it. Love this film. I think of all of the movies on this this list, this is the one I'm most likely to go back to sooner rather than later. I, I, I strong agree. Strong Could not agree, agree with that. you more. Yes. I had seen this once before and I was, okay, that was cool. I enjoyed it. You know, Patricia Arquette, Pullman, people I really enjoy. So I, I was, I had fond memories of it, but nothing profound. I figured uh, maybe it'll end up in the middle somewhere. I love this movie so much and the just everything when he um when he you know when it's i didn't kill her i didn't kill her please tell me i didn't kill her it just got me it got me completely hooked into everything and you know i think um you know i i think the weakness of this movie why it's not i have it at number two so it's really high deservedly <laughs> so but you know i think when it's battling number one i think it does turn into the um the balthasar getty of it where i thought <laughs> So, you know, there, and I, you know, I understand his character and what he was doing, but there was times where I was like, man, if this guy, if, if this guy was like good, I, I think this is crushing <laughs> okay, number okay. one. So, so now, I, I, do you know what I think, hindsight being 2020, do you know who I think Lynch would have like, would have cast in this is hey. Justin, Justin Theroux. Oh, 
Yeah. Oh, amazing. Because if you if you see him with the leather jacket and stuff in Inland Empire, you go yep. you you take ten years off the row, he's he's fucking this part and he's and he's killing it. You know he's killing, it. killing it. Because uh, Oh yeah. That uh, Justin Thoreau, all the um when he when the, when he's in the car with Mr. Eddie and the tailgate scene isn't just a kind of confused guy. It's someone who's involved in the scene. And um you know, I believe him and Arquette a lot more. Oh my god, that tailgate scene. It's just so good. Ugh. Okay, okay, I do have to ask. What the fuck do you think happens in this film? Do either of you have a theory? Because I have my theory. I think I know what happens, but I'm just wondering. So I think I read too much because I, I think now it's been skewed. Um, and this is also why it's very... it's. A, like Inland Empire is linked to our movie we haven't talked about yet. Um, yeah, 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 so yeah. is this one. And yes. um, so I, I, I think, I mean, do you want me to be just kind of blunt and literal about Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Okay. So I think that, I think that uh, Fred has killed his wife and is um, uh, essentially is kind of creating an outlet for him to not have to deal with the fact that he did. And again, he, and it, he creates this younger more virile version of himself because again and if we take moments literally that happened early on he, he seems to be jealous and unsure if she might be having an infidelity and he's unsure of himself as a lover and so he creates this younger Balthazar Getty version of himself uh who gets to gets to have sex with all the women and be more than a toilet seat ladies he's yeah. a mechanic he's super manly apparently yeah, I, my all, whole take all of was those things. You know, because you know when P- Pullman, yes, P- Pullman needs Balthasar Getty to be manly, Christ. But you know, because Pullman tells us like I don't like videotapes. Why don't I like videotapes? Because I like to remember things I like to rem- I remember them the way I want, not the way it actually happened. Yep. So my whole take was that this was just his the the dopamine burst at the end of his life. Yeah. When the when the electric came on, this was him trying to give him come to peace with himself that there was this whole, you know, that Renee wasn't just his wife that he dismembered. She was this femme fatale involved in all of this, this underworld and um, all just just trying to give himself a little bit more peace. I also really the. The casting of Henry Rollins as a prison guard is genius. And who the hell would have thought about that? All the things I would... And I would put Henry Rollins in every movie. I would never think to put him as a prison guard. Well, I, th- I think you're, you're, you're wrong with the first half of that statement. That's just, that is just crazy. That's just pure, <laughs> that is just pure crazy talk right there. I agree, um, but I stand by it. <laughs> if, we were, if this was an episode... Um, Unsung hero, who somebody who who blew me away uh, was Gary Busey. Uh, oh my god, he was serious. Talking, yeah, when he they're was trying so good. to when they're trying to talk to him about like what's going on, I was just like, Gary Busey, you're ripping my heart out. He, yes. I thought he was phenomenal. Busey, you know, he's you know, you see Busey, and you have to think about it at the time, but like you see him now, there's a lot of baggage with 2023 Busey. I don't even know what the hell he's doing, but like recent Busey. When you see him and there's emotion and believability and he's he's a father and the whole thing on the front lawn with the girlfriend. Wow, I was really impressed by him, which 
who the hell would have thought? The only time he's ever really impressed me is point break every time I watch it. Mm. Utah. Warriors. So good in Warriors. Give me two. Give me two. But no, I agree. Gary Busey was great when he comes in and takes off his sunglasses and then his wife takes off her sunglasses. I was like, David Lynch, here you are. Here's the 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 strange humor that I love so much. I, and okay, and so I th- that's thank you. That's like I, it's exactly where I wanted to go. And and one of the places I couldn't I honestly couldn't believe I laughed. Um was it's later in the movie and uh, they're trying to rob from the guy in the house and he biffs it and his forehead goes into the table. Like I both was shocked, but also just like, oh. I will never look at a glass table the same way. Glass coffee tables are death traps. Uh, I I was, I, I think I paused the movie just so I could have a moment before I kept going. It was beautiful. Yeah, um, I, you know. I, and I love him, you know, Andy, I love him in The Crow, but man, the guy, every time I see this, I like him in a movie, he just does not have a happy ending. Deservedly. So I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to get real base on you here for a second. So, uh, well, I don't know what that means. That's, that's a young person's but, word and I'm an old man. No, 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 no. I'm like, just, I'm going to get like real, like, I'm going to go back to like 13 year old Adam here for a second. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so like Patricia Arquette. I've seen True Romance. Um, I, I've seen Holy Matrimony, and I was like, I want to be Joseph Gordon-Levitt so I can be married to Patricia Arquette. That's not a great movie, but I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't think she gets enough credit for a- anything. I'm just going to say anything. No, um, she's amazing. She's, I agree. She's great in the movie, um, and the way that Lynch handled those, uh, the very, very, very many moments of her nudity in the film seems to be handled with a lot of tact and grace, which is, uh, which is great to hear. Um, and just like, you know, and like you just, this is 97. And then, you know, and she wins her Oscar for boyhood, you know, like years later. And then she's in severance, which I'm very biased with. Uh, but like, she's just been killing it for decades. Um, and I don't. I don't think we really talk about Patricia Arquette as one of the like really great actresses. I I loved her in this, and her, and I go I go back to the base thing because I was just like she just she is shot. I, I it's like who was this siren in front of me? I just was I I couldn't believe it. So her as Renee is very interesting to begin with because you can tell at the beginning in that first scene where she's like, you're not upset that I'm not going to go to your show tonight. I'm just going to stay home and read. read you can t- yeah. The tension between the two of them is so palpable. It's fantastic. And you can tell something is not right. There is something is wrong with this. And I love the fact that the only person in this film that gets any type of retribution or any type of like ends up on top is Alice slash Renee, who just tells her husband who killed her that he will never have her and walks out of the movie, literally gets up out of the sand, walks out of the movie and kills his nightmare. Because I don't I don't sympathize with Bill Pullman in this film. I think that this is such a misogynistic uh, portrayal of any any type of relationship. And I love it. I think it's great to highlight that, um, especially with what this is based on. And and, and I, I love the fact that she comes out on top over anybody else and she earned it and she deserves it. And she is so sexy in this film. She pushed herself so hard for this role because she's in every interview I saw. She's so um, she's not the type of person that really wants to take her clothes off, even when she's by herself, which is 
good for her. Not everybody has to be a person who likes to do that. So just she pushed herself so hard in this film. And I was, oh, God, she's so good. I, her turn from when when the nightmare, when the dream is like dissolving into a nightmare and she becomes that femme fatale archetype is pitch perfect. It's so good. I love her. And, and it plays with these great, like there's a, there's a line in Wild at Heart, which is like, for each problem, put a silver coin through the slot. And it's, and that's one of those lines. There's, and there's a lot of these lines in Lynch films um, where it's kind of like, that sounds interesting. And not all of them pay off. Um, but, uh, oh, that was going somewhere. <clears throat> oh, uh, um, the Robert Blake stuff. <sighs> Call me. That... That is like such a cool, great, menacing moment, which is only going to be beaten by a scene that we'll get to later. Um, but like, it's it's such a cool. I mean, the idea of the of the, the the videos themselves being found on the front porch, and then this guy, call me, I'm at your house. It it's just so great tension building stuff. Especially with when it's Robert Blake on the phone versus in person talking, and it all being cohesive, is just really cool, and you know. I don't want to say good things about Robert Blake, but God, he was no. so uncomfortable there. Um, but real quick, back to a, the very formative and wonderful Patricia Arquette. She was also in my favorite Freddy movie, uh, Dream Warriors. Her so. first movie. So, you know, and I love her in that as well. So I am, I, I love the very pro Patricia Arquette. But, um, you know, and then the, the, the Blake character, the mystery man, kind of repeating himself to the, the, the Balthazar Getty later, you know, with the We've Met Before. It's just... It's so unsettling. It's so unsettling. And I also love the fact that both um, Blake and uh, and Patricia Arquette, they came up with a lot of the uh, a lot of the um, costuming or like the look of their characters because David Lynch loves collaboration. So she was the one that came up with like the Betty Hage hairstyle and um, she was switching her her nail polish between takes a lot of the time because she'd have to go from one to the other. And a lot of that, um, a lot of that fabrication was her, which I think works beautifully because she created two incredible characters that, that don't meld together. They, they do feel in different enough. I, I just, I think she does a fantastic job. And then Robert Blake was the one who came up with his own makeup and like shaved off his eyebrows. And David Lynch was completely into it. I I myself think that he's probably um, Fred's own. uh, He's a part of Fred. He's the part of Fred that justifies killing Renee. But there are a lot of reads that you could say this is like Mephistopheles. You know, it's that's the beauty of this film. It's very open ended. I do think that it's his death throes. I think that he's being electrocuted. I think that's pretty obvious. It could also be interpreted as not that at all because it's it's so open-ended. And I just, I just, this film blew my fucking mind and I I love it so much. Yeah, I was, I'm so happy with it. And like you said, I'll definitely go back to it. And the fact that, you know, he spoke about the Dick Laurent is dead piece is something that happened to him at one point in the apartment. But like how he uses these weird things and then just whether true or not, but man, he makes them work in... Um, in these stories that's just so cool and just the way the whole start of the movie just this this fast road to nowhere the the hyperactive music is it's, it just brings you in so quickly oh yeah is that is that Romstein in the in, on the on the soundtrack he loves Romstein yeah, yeah. Oof, he, no 
It's the and the mix of Bottolamenti's score, but like the just the 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 heavy heavy metal in that too. It's 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 a yeah. I, and I just my 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 last note was just this movie rules. That was it. That was it just does. the last note I had. That's all. I mean, David Bowie bookends it. It opens with David. It closes with David Bowie. Like you you got me at David Bowie, friends. I can't say no. I love Bowie. I, this movie is. My takeaway from all of this is this movie does not get talked about enough. It's, it, no. it, and I don't understand why. Well, and it definitely didn't do well back in 1997, which I think is confusing considering the films that did come out at that time. Uh, it was a really hyper-violent year because I believe Seven came out in 1997. Uh, it's 95. Um, 95. Well, it, it, similar time period. The yes, 90, yes. Mid, mid to late 90s was pretty violent with films and pretty dark. And I think that um, there there was another movie that came out, a Spanish film called uh, Open Your Eyes in English. I'm not going to pronounce it in Spanish because I can't. Um, it was remade into Vanilla Sky and it has similar themes. And I just think, wow, that's so interesting that these two movies kind of came about at a similar time. I think that shows like the zeitgeist of humanity. <laughs> but but they do have similar themes of like dreams and, and your dreams being influenced by what you want and, and then also by what you're you fear and what you can't press down and and get away from oh god it's so good also inspired by the oj simpson trial yeah partially yeah that was that was interesting yeah i I found it interesting that lynch wanted to explore what it would be like to commit a horrible crime and then try to pretend that you didn't you know for for, and i love when i was looking you know doing research and you know, Bill Pullman went from president of the world to murdering saxophone player. That's a hell of well, a run. And I th- and I think you got to put in like bumbling father uh, of a haunted house in Casper. That's like right. That's ninety five. Oh, that, that's yeah. I that's think. right before it. Yeah. So uh, he's got quite a quite uh, a run of films going. And then, like in two thousand five or two thousand seven, he did The Grudge. So. In what is easily the funniest opening to a movie I've ever seen, and I'll ever. talk to you later about that. It's, it is fucking hilarious. I, um, I remember seeing it in the cinema going, what did I just witness? <laughs> <laughs> um, any other Lost Highway thoughts? I mean, God, go fucking see this movie. It is. Go see this film. Seriously. It's amazing. It's great. It's um, the it's only great. only film that I watched by myself that I turned when Neil got home from work. I said, damn, I really wish I'd watched that with you. I think you would have liked it. Only one. I watched yeah. all of these by myself, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, me too. I did. I, yep. that's, that's fair. Um, Just for my wife's sanity. <laughs> yeah. Fair. So, uh, my number two... Uh, as you both had Lost Highway number two, I just will let you know now that uh, we all have the same number one. So we'll get yeah, to that in a second. I assume. My, my number two is uh, is the straight story. Oh my God, the straight story. So uh, I, I want to I lead it off with a couple of things um, because this, I, I haven't watched this since, it was actually uh, my recommend when we did Five Easy Pieces, which was the film that we did right before The Elephant Man when I was recording with Ian. And... Um, when I was sort of doing some initial research on this movie back then, um, I, what I learned was that, uh, so Richard Farnsworth was like, just, I mean, he was, he had cancer pretty bad and that not too soon after the release of this movie, he took his own life. Uh, I believe it was in New Mexico. Um, and, uh, 
because he was just in a lot of pain and his wife had passed and uh and that's 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 how he he chose to go out um after you know getting uh, an academy award nomination for the film and so you know it was hard to not think about farnsworth watching the movie and uh, my connection to Ian. So there's a real, I, so that's why I said there's a real bias with this one. But my pre-ranking always had this at two, actually. Um, wow. So, so there's, there's that. Um, uh, and then, so I, I do, I, I have this movie. I know it's on Disney Plus, but I, I have it. And there was this really great visual essay called, um, called Found Highway, which I thought was just a great, great little play on words there. And, um, it's something I hadn't thought about and I, not that it's, I don't think it's obvious, but so um, kind of jumping into the film now. So we get, we get the scene with uh, Alvin and the, the woman who's hitchhiking on the side of the road because she's kind of running away from her or what's going on in her life. Um, and he tells the story about Rose. Now she had kids and how, um, you know, they say, they say that she's slow, but she's not. Um, and all, you know, all, all that stuff. She's got a still trap. And that one night she was out um, and that there was a fire and somebody else was supposed to be watching the kids. Um, but because of her condition, they, they were taken away, which is just like when you like, that's just a, a very sad backstory. And it's, it's delivered so earnestly and stuff. Um, this, what this uh, essay uh, made the assumption is that, that Alvin was the one who was supposed to be watching the kids. And that that most of the stories that we hear going throughout are him having to reckon with a lot of things in his life. And when when I when I watch this essay and I and that I, I did a lot of what Brittany was doing right now and it just took on this whole other level of like this is it, yeah, it's a guy traveling from Iowa to Wisconsin to visit his brother. But it's so much more about reckoning with the things that we like we don't talk about and. Like as somebody who has recently driven back and forth across the country a few times, um, you have so much time to think, and this, uh, just the the contemplation of all of 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 his life is, I I there's, I can't quite put everything into words, but it's just it, it's such a it's just such a wonderful film. So the I'm the really hard not to cry. <laughs> So that was my takeaway that it was him because he's such a straightforward person with everything he does. And that's the only time he's sort of vague when he's telling the story about it. And that the only rec- and he, he can't bring himself to ever reconcile that. So that's why he's so committed to the brother, because that's how, that's going to save him, kind of give him that some uh, give him a, some sort of peace that he just can't ever get with his daughter. By Sissy Spacek, who was wonderful, by the way. But he was so good. Well, and that's and that's the the, the I, I first of all, I also think she's good. I, and I don't know where the fuck her nomination was because that should have existed. This is the year that Angelina Jolie won for Girl Interrupted, which is a, a fine. But I, I, I don't know. I where, where was her nomination? I also kind of feel like um, Kevin Spacey didn't deserve it over Richard's performance personally. Well, and, and it it's a it's a. It's a good year for best actor. Um, Ninety nine is just a great year for for film. Um, but uh, you know, it's funny because because Sissy Spacek's performance leads into the the joke in Tropic Thunder about you know playing somebody with a with a, a mental disability of some <laughs> kind. And but it, it's it's but it's tough because I think 
and this is where the 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 acting controversy about who gets to play who in in a film or or in a play it's 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 just this it's this these this murky water where like nobody gets to come out clean like ever i feel like um but i i don't know there's sissy's sissy's basic is just so genuine in this movie that i i just i don't i i like i, I yeah, yeah, no, go ahead, please. Well, I don't. I didn't necessarily take it as her playing somebody who had like a developmental delay or anything. I, I literally took it as somebody who had a stutter, and then who had anxiety from that stutter. Um, that that's that's what I took from it. I just thought the line when when he's talking about the story about this because of her it says about that the state taking the kids. Oh, well, and then and the things that come back like full circle. Um, uh, more stars. Uh, which comes back kind of from his early films, um, a lot of that. Uh, the industry, the agriculture, the small town. I mean, it, there's really a lot of this is coming back just in a in a story that doesn't that doesn't have the. I don't. I don't. I, I don't want to say Lynchian, but like the you know the the quirks and the things. It is though. It is. I think this is quite possibly his most Lynchian film because if we go by the definition of Lynchian. It's a particular kind of irony where the very macabre and very and the very mundane combined in such a way as to reveal the former's perpetual containment within the latter. That's what David Foster Wallace said. And then let me go to my other definition of Lynchian, because there are a couple. But Lynchian, juxtaposing surreal or sinister elements with mundane everyday environments and using compelling visual images to emphasize a dreamlike quality of mystery or menace. This is the mundane with something completely surreal and it's based on a real true story of a man who could not drive to go see his brother so he drove on a lawnmower across state lines and I don't know if there's any other like more Lynchian thing out there it's so bizarre you'd never expect it to have it happen but it actually happened in real life well and and I think another quality of Lynch films are is the idea of mystery and building your own story and what I what I love about this movie is that we don't we don't have a reconciliation scene with the brother. He makes it, they sit there, and you can assume whatever you want to. Assume they have the conversation, assume they just sit for hours because that's what they like it it doesn't matter. And it's it's he made it. That's it, he he got there. That's really that's really all that it was about. And I'm, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't expect Lynch to make a film like this in general, but I, I also wouldn't expect him to, to feed us the answer. And it didn't, it didn't let me down. And uh, I, yeah, I don't know this movie. This movie just gets me in all the right places. <laughs> it's also beautiful. It's yeah. like just the, the scenes where he's just driving his tractor is great. Like just being in the world with him as he's just, He's in his head and just seeing, you know, the middle of America crossing the Mississippi. Just I, I just really love the visuals of it as well. And man, the scene with his brother and, you know, like you said, the restraint when you drove that all the way to see me. Yep, I did. OK. And then they're just going to sit. Whatever's going to happen is is going to happen. But it's a fantastic scene. And Harry Dean Stanton, one line and he just fucking knocks it out of the park. It's. Uh, not surprising that I also cried my way through this movie. It it Hard really not hit to. me. Yeah. It, there's something about this film. I think this is the only David Lynch film that I've ever recommended to my family, but I've recommended it at least three times since I watched it, and I think my parents might be watching it tonight because I just said it's 
you got to watch it. And I will say there were aspects of it. I lost my grandfather um, two years ago, coming up in May, in March. Um, and it was really hard. And my grandpa was, reminds me of the lead character of this movie, Alvin, in certain ways. And just that he was stubborn. And when he wanted to do something, he was going to do it. And there's nothing you could do to stop him. And so watching this kind of brought up all of these, like, emotions and, and these things that I hadn't thought about for a while. And uh, and it made me miss going on um, road trips with my grandpa because that's what we used to do. And I thought, man, if my grandpa had lived to where he couldn't see, he would have done the same thing to go see people. Like, he would have done whatever he could to just keep going, keep trucking along. That's awesome. That was nice for me. Yeah. I, I loved his relationship with Danny. Like, that was that came at such a perfect and unexpected time. Um and like I just really like when he said, um, what did he say? You're a guest in your own backyard. I just really love that. Like it's still, he's always welcoming and trying to bring people into his world. And oh, I what's the uh, what, what does he say? Um, yeah, he had, a, he had a lot of like a lot of good back and forth. But he's like um, you're a pragmatic man talking to a stubborn man. Yeah, yeah, that was that was it. Damn it. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're a kind man talking to a stubborn kind man. Kind yeah. man, that's what it was. After the after offering him the ride, that's what it was. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, this movie, you know, when I'm looking at these, because this is another one I hadn't seen, and I'm like, okay, a G-rated David Lynch. I was like, all right, good for him, making his money. And then I found out that it was just emotionally heavy, beautiful film. Well, I think he said when he read it, read the script, that he wanted people to feel the way that he did. And I think he did it. I think one thing David Lynch is very good at is eliciting a response through his his films. And if he wanted me to have all the feels and to cry and to really feel for Alvin, it it worked. Well, but then to give us a scene too where he's like, "That's that's a nice grabber you got there." Oh my god! <laughs> it's gonna take me weeks Alvin. to get another one. Come on! <laughs> I have to put the order in. It's a good it's a good grabber. Oh, man. So or him, him, him bartering down the price from the twins working on. Ah, come on, it's it was just so funny. So funny. Uh, uh, okay. Well, listen. If you're keeping track at home, folks, there's only one film left. Left, and I, I gotta say, I'm so thrilled to have a consensus number one, and that, of course, is Mulholland Drive. How could it not? What what a bookend here, guys! From the consensus Dune Hall <laughs> to the glory and the rising above the rest of Mulholland Drive. This is just uh, just excellent teamwork. I I am so proud of us. I mean, there were a lot of a lot of iffy ones in there. We had them all over the place, but at least the best and the worst are both uh both accurate. Uh, I. I've had such a long and strange journey with this movie, and I, I I love it. And every every time I watch it now, I'm I'm making connections. I, the The story is becoming clearer in my head, or you know, at least my version of it. And like this time, I, everything post uh, I'm a, uh, post the box. Um, it, I, you you this the, the things that I I hadn't connected prior to in in the in the first half of the movie, uh, or like I said, the first two thirds of the movie. Um, it's just so. It's it's just so great. Um, I I I don't quite know where to start with this one. Um, I will say that I think that this film deserves all of the praise that's heaped on it. It's stunning. 
There was an That's article. Where I'll start. There was an article, and I don't, I don't think it was Sight and Sound. It was, it was, a, it was BBC or something in the UK. They did the like a, a twenty-five, the best twenty-five films of the the century so far. This was a few years ago, and it was right around the time that New York Times did one as well. But the British one had Mulholland Drive at number one, I think. And uh, and Ian and I got into a real good debate about it because I think he liked but didn't love Mulholland Drive, and I was like, I am just fine with Mulholland Drive being where it is. Um, and and I think it's it's funny to see it. It's starting to make its way. I think the sight and sound pulled the directors. I think I think it might have actually cracked the top one hundred for them. Um, I I don't know. I I think it the, the um Brit uh, bringing it back to Inland Empire and the 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 women in in hollywood aspect yeah. of it. and and spo- sorry late in the game spoilers um <laughs> so <Oops. laughs> i think you could you could obviously see a world where again if i'm being very blunt and literal where this is essentially oh, i gotta get the names right because they switch a little bit here um hold on this could be a world in which um diane uh sees herself as as betty in 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 the dream world um and it's it's all of these things in the dream are, are aspects of her real life, just in a different way. Call it a dream yeah. or a daydream or whatever you want to call it. Um, and there's all that. But the I think the bigger the bigger story at play here of um, the replaceability of actresses and names, the fact that the Camilla Rhodes seems to be a nobody coming out of coming out of nowhere, but so does so does Betty when she's coming from Canada. There's you can't help but also think that the waitress who we you never we only really see twice is probably also an actress because it's L.A. and everybody has a photo resume. Everybody's an actor. The the replaceability is is so not just key to I, the the story of Mulholland Drive, but I think grand scheme women in Hollywood um, in general and. Yeah, just the more I watch it, the more it, it just it sucks me in. And I, I, I love trying to kind of puzzle my way through it. I, so I, I don't think that there's any way that this film can make sense, even if you try to piece everything together. But that's OK. It doesn't ruin it for me. If you want to go into it and try to find everything out, I think that's fine and it's not going to ruin the film. If you want to go into it and just enjoy it on a surface level, I also think that doesn't ruin this film. I think this film, it could be for anybody who wanted something that makes a statement. And um, David Lynch sure does make a statement about Hollywood, the Hollywood system in this movie, doesn't he? And that underbelly of, of L.A. This <laughs> You know, I think I understand parts of it, and I think whatever I think. And then, you know, there, there, there's the older married couple running around in miniatures. And then I'm like, you know, I don't know what's going on. And that that that's that makes this a lot more fun. Because every time I think I'm kind of working something out there, David Lynch makes sure to not let you actually know what you're thinking. And how they kind of introduce both of, you know, both the women and then and then in the turn again. It's so compelling and it's so good. And, you, you know, you never, you know, Naomi Watts does a really good job in this. She's excellent. I'm there, with her the uh, whole time. There, the, and, and again, and like, and kind of like what Laura Dern gets to do in Inland Empire, you know, she's, she is playing two different characters. She's playing... Yeah the the she's essentially the gumshoe she's the really but but really nice and really supportive she's not like the overbearing dick gumshoe you get in a lot of noir she's really supportive of 
Rita, as we know her in the first part of the movie. Um, and then at the end, she gets to be jealous and spiteful and just wants to get ahead. And it's she she gets to do so much. And again, where the where the fuck was Naomi Watts's nomination uh, for this? Um, but like and and just and so this is and this is where a lot of those really cool directorial choices uh, get to come. Like the flickering lights, obviously blue, obviously. Um, I think my favorite shot in the whole thing is when the cab pulls up and the. Uh, the camera does that really weird, like shaky zoom in on the the entrance of the of Club Silencio. I was just like, this is really really cool choices going on. Um, and like, and I don't quite know how to say this next part, so maybe I'll just be when uh, Naomi Watts is is pleasuring herself and the way that the camera is going in and out of focus, like this the the camera work. That and again, this is the other this is the last time that Lynch gets directed for best director. It's just. I don't I don't think Lynch gets enough credit for like what he does stylistically with the camera enough. I mean, I know we got these nominations, but like I he's the weird director, but like nah, no, no, no. He he uses the camera really well. Absolutely. He has a purpose for the things he puts in his movies. Even if it's weird and even if it doesn't make sense to you, he still thought about it. He doesn't just like like he does allow things to just happen like on set happenstances he'll you know like the flickering lights a lot of the time he goes oh that was what was meant to happen so we're going to roll with it but he does make choices about certain things like my favorite scene is Winky's diner when oh. um when he's talking about his nightmare and if you're not looking for it, you probably wouldn't notice it. But the fact that the um, the camera is floating the entire time so it can never quite be focused on one thing, it's disorienting and it, it's it's already building up your tension without you realizing it. That's fucking smart. It works so well because then when we get the best jump scare that's ever existed in any <laughs> movie, it is like you're going to have a heart attack. Like it's... Even when I know it's coming, I still have that like pit in my stomach knowing it's going to happen because he's able to create this atmosphere. It's, oh, it's so good. Well, and it's 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 I think part of it, part of it, too, part of my admiration for this film is that it's it's conceived out of basically a failed pilot. And yeah. you can tell with the Robert Forster character, you can tell probably with those two guys at Winkies, you could tell with the. I don't know what I would like the like the the hitman character. Is that what the funniest scene in the movie? Um, <laughs> you know, he's I, I he's a like bumbling he, uh, hitman. Um, th- th- there probably was more set for them in the in what would have been a continuing series. Uh, um, you know, an actual series on on ABC. But the like, and the Winky scene is is a is a perfect example of that scene. You could just like show that scene out of context and go, this is this is fucking terrifying. This is creepy and tension building. And then within the context of the script of the movie, it's like. That's like, Joey, that's like the old people running out of the bag. Like, I can't quite place the importance of that moment into my version of the story. But what I know is that it's fucking effective and like it it doesn't make me overthink it. Exactly. You know, and so. Oh, Club, oh. Club Silencio, I think about a lot because, you know, it's it you really keeps you on your heels that the whole time is that, you know, you can't trust what you're seeing in there. And then every you know, then they find the key in it. Just 
just never being able to, and when the guy gets pulled off who was the landlord, it's just, there's so much different pieces going on that, um, you know, I, 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 I always, I always want to stay at Club Silencio longer than we do. And we're there for a good amount of time, but I just really appreciate everything that goes on there. And I have a lot of fun with it because it's just, it's confusing. And it's, again, David Lynch, I just love the way he uses music and things and singers and, um, you know, their reaction to watching the singer is, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I, um, during the Club Silencio part, and I'm not sure if, because I think there are a million readings on this movie, right? And I, the one that I think most people think is that it's, that Betty is really Diane, and this is Betty's version of what she thinks should have happened in Hollywood in the last, like, 25 to 30 minutes is what actually happened. And, and like Club Silencio itself is her coming to terms with what she has done. And, you know, that's why she is shaking. That's why the two of them are crying. And and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I'm happy with taking that. But I also don't need any context for that that scene. I just like it as is. And I feel that way with all of this movie. I mean, I'm fine looking into it. But I also just kind of enjoy the experience of watching it. <laughs> and I don't really need to dive any deeper into it. Though I did, I did come across a couple really interesting things that I, I didn't think of myself, so I can't take any credit for them. But there was one in particular that I'll talk about in a little bit that I was like, oh, I, I like that interpretation of what this movie means. But that's because David Lynch hates the Hollywood system, so doesn't this, surprise me. This was the first time I noticed uh, Cheryl Lee sitting in the audience at Club Silencio. And I think that's a really big part of it to be like I, the, her being there um i think a lot of this film came out of kind of her treatment in hollywood in that she should have been a lot bigger than she was but so much was taken out of her during firewalk with me and then she just kind of never was able to have a, a bigger she did stuff but she didn't rise to the stardom that i think david lynch ex- assumed she could um i think that I get the sense that there's a little bit of uh, sadness there. There's sadness for me because I think she's great. But one of the uh, things that David Lynch said is um, the actor's life is one of the hardest lives. They only have themselves and they're mostly waiting, hoping. And you see how fate plays a role in who rises and who falls. And it's devastating. I mean, but but and true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then Billy Ray Cyrus as the <laughs> the the Perfect pool the, the pool boy. Yeah, I mean, who the hell would have thought in two thousand one that you know this is we want the achy breaky heart guy? What a well done, well done so casting. <laughs> well, and like and people, yeah, I mean, and he, you know, Robert Forster's in one scene and probably would have been in more. Um, Dan Hedaya is really he's he's only in the one scene and and probably would have been in more. And um, again, I just like I'm I'm mostly just amazed that he was able to basically take a failed pilot and turn it into a, a really interesting movie that, whether his intention or not, it, it really sparks a lot of interesting conversations that I. I I, and, and again, that just the more I watch this movie, the more that I love finding connections, making my own conclusions. It's just like it, my my the picture in my head gets clearer each time, which is but it's not fully there yet, which makes me 
I can't believe how many times I've watched this movie in my life. Like, it's somewhere north of 10, which for me is a lot for any one movie. And I will continue to continue to watch it. Yeah. I'll revisit this film multiple times. This film and Lost Highway are the two that I think I'm going to actively revisit because I just enjoy the experience of watching them. Yeah, I'll never stop watching this one. You know, just um, Justin Thoreau and you know, oh, this is this is the girl, and you know, you know, casting and all of that goes behind it when he almost quits, but then the money's gone. Man, you know, politics of casting, right? Oh, and uh, so, like the the cowboy scene too. Like again, like I don't know how it exactly fits in, but like again, what a what a great little scene. And the cowboy is awesome. He's he's, he's so good. Yeah. I'm not sure that that's something else I've always been like, all right, well, we see him two more times. So is that talking? <laughs> Who's he talking to? Because <laughs> I don't think it's just a throw. So this is a theory that I read. I'll just bring it up now because I think it's interesting and I would like to hear both of your opinions on it. Um, and I didn't read it. I watched it because I, I was like, I want to see what other people think. I like YouTube. Why not? And somebody said that they believe that Rita slash Camilla is the literal personification of the casting couch in Hollywood and that Betty and Betty slash Diane is the young starlet who chooses to allow herself to be taken advantage of and then is discarded by the same institution that she gave everything to. Which I think is an interesting idea and i can see where that is supported throughout the film especially in certain scenes where uh the landlady comes up and is like there's trouble in there blah 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 and her saying like oh no 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 it's all fine it's just for a little while and getting too attached to them and then we see diane's fall from grace as you could say it's I just I as a as a female performer I found it very interesting. I think it, I know I think it's a really uh, cool interesting read uh, on the film. I don't think I I would have gotten to casting couch per se. Me neither. Um, but I think it, I think it's in line with a with a lot of interpretations of yeah. of or you know uh, I don't say mainstream but a, a popular opinions on what the film is is about. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have gotten there either. That's why I wanted to bring it up, because as I was watching it, I was like, huh, I never would have considered this. I'll bring it up. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't have gotten the casting couch. But, the you know, just the piece of kind of putting things, you know, putting things aside, dropping boundaries for the greater good, and then how that, you know, makes everything so quickly discarded, I think is, it's really smart. I also, yeah. oh, I, I was just saying, I think the, 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 the cowboy can literally just be, I mean, what was one of the most popular types of film in the 40s and 50s? It was it was Westerns. And oh, he's just, yeah. a you know, a, a piece of old Hollywood. And, you know, David Lynch does have a thing about those dead blondes, doesn't he? He has a thing about blondes in general. And Betty is like the epitome of the dead blonde in Hollywood, which if you haven't listened to it, um, it, the uh, you must remember this has an incredible series about dead blondes in Hollywood and how the system screwed them. It, it's fascinating. But as I was watching this film again, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a commentary on on all of that. And just the way that that uh, 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 not just women, it's not just women. I'm not making that generalization, but 
how people are brought into this system and used up and thrown away. And so many of there are so many instances of people who found a slight bit of success and then were unable to continue to have that success and decide that like life is too hard. It's it's a really there's something wrong with a system if people are doing that, right? If if that that's the only way that people can come to terms with what they've done. And I think that David Lynch, this was, what, 2001? Yep. And then everything with Harvey Weinstein a couple of years ago started coming out. So it's like, oh, David Lynch was ma- making a commentary on something that's we've all known was there, but never discussed, never talked about. It was a, a an open secret, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um. Any other, I mean, I mean, this, you know, this movie was, so I, we, and as we said on the uh, Eraserhead episode, Eraserhead, Elephant Man, Blue Velvet are actively in the book, um, and Mulholland Drive was in the book um, in a previous iteration. I know. I, I know. get that. That's um, crazy. Don't... I was blown but, away but, this wasn't in there. But uh, by our terms, you know, Blue Velvet and Mulholland Drive could be an episode somewhere down the line. I have a, I have a very strong feeling we won't come back to Lynch quite. Uh, for quite a while um but any any lingering Mulholland drive thoughts there's a lot to (laughs) try to break down you know it it was it was something that I've watched many many times in the past 20 years that I've really loved and I've never watched it critically I've always just watched it enjoyment wise and I was really nervous that it watching it with like a different lens was gonna um, I don't know, just change it for me or drop it for me. And it ju- it made me love it more. And, I, and I'm and i just really, really happy about that, <laughs> personally. Well said. Well said. I like that. I felt the same way about, like, honestly, everything on this list, because David Lynch is a, a favorite of mine. I love him so much. And so the idea of watching all of these critically and and then having to go back and think huh do i need to reconsider what i if i actually like movies you know it's one of those things when you revisit something that meant so much to you and it doesn't mean the same thing but i was pleasantly surprised by how how much this held up the one that i didn't know would be terrible to me was wild at heart i thought i would just have that at like number 6 and it would be fine and i thoroughly did not enjoy that film but everything else was ex- i was happy with the the experiences well there we go there we go okay so uh uh we'll go we're gonna we're gonna quickly recap our top our top 10 and then uh, we'll i'm gonna give you the definitive a thousand and one by one david lynch ranking so brit if you wouldn't mind quickly going through your top 10 great so at number 10 i have dune at number nine, I have Wild at Heart. Number eight, Inland Empire. Number seven, Eraser Head. Number six, The Elephant Man. Number four, uh, number five, The Straight Story. I almost forgot about that one. Uh, number four, Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me. Number three, Blue Velvet. Number two, Lost Highway. And number one, Mulholland Drive. Lovely lovely joey your top 10 all right number 10 dune number nine inland empire number eight wild at heart number seven fire walked with me 
Six, Elephant Man. Five, Eraserhead. Four, Straight Story. Three, Blue Velvet. Two, Lost Highway. And one, Mulholland Drive. Uh, and my top ten would be, uh, so number ten is Dune. Nine, Inland Empire. Eight, Twin, Peak, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. Number seven, The Elephant Man. In uh, a mid-podcast recording switch, number six, Wild at Heart. Number five, Eraserhead. Number four, Blue Velvet. Three, Lost Highway. Two, The Straight Story. And number one, Mulholland Drive. So here are, this is the definitive 1,001 by one ranking of David Lynch films. There was a tie and uh, the the movie with the the one higher ranking is what got the bump. So at number ten, not surprisingly, Dune. <laughs> number <laughs> hole. Number nine, probably not too surprising to anybody else at either Inland Empire. Number eight, Wild at Heart. Number seven, The Elephant Man, which is just edged out by number six, Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me. Number five, Eraserhead. Number four, The Straight Story. Number three, Blue Velvet. Number two, Lost Highway. And number one, Mulholland Drive. I like that ranking. I'm I okay with it. I, I am too. I think we nailed it. Yeah, I'm proud I, of us. I am too. I uh, all, the, all, the, all the haters we have out there, which I'm hoping are none. You know, I, we nailed it. We, we nailed we, it. We kicked this list ass. I think what we discovered, and here's what we should say. Um, Mulholland Drive is a classic, and Lost Highway is not talked about enough. Yeah. And I Dune think that's a takeaway. Yeah, Dune sucked. And Lynch is very capable of ripping your heart out and showing it to you. Yeah. <laughs> Many Absolutely. different ways in a G movie about the sheriff of misery and about a freaking saxophonist Femme fatale. I mean, just the fact that he could do it so many different ways is very impressive. Indeed. Uh, so there you go. There you have it. That is, uh, those are our separate rankings, our definitive ranking. But of course, as always, we want to know what, what your favorite Lynch films are, what is your worst and why it's Dune. Uh, so please hit us up on all the socials. Uh, you can find us on all the places where you have podcasts. And uh, Joey, do you want to tell the people what we're talking about next next we're going you know we've we've had a run of dark <laughs> and heavy so you know we're going fun and nostalgic and we're going who framed roger rabbit uh i'm i'm very excited to to talk about this movie for for just all the reasons for Me too. all of the single reasons i can't wait. i can't wait Oh, uh, and, and a real, a real palate cleanser indeed will. will I mean, be it's happening. gonna. It's like one of the two happy movies we have on this, uh, on this list. After this run, we, we, you know, this is a perfect movie for every everything we've just ran into in the, you know, the epic Lynch watch. Uh, yes, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be fun, light, and you know, just, just, just a lot of laughs. I think. Can't wait to talk all about the animation. Did I? Did I? Was that a Joey pick or was that a Britney pick? Did that I was a Britney it? pick. But uh, that's okay. I, I fucking knew it. I'm gonna keep this in. I'm keeping that's this fine. conversation in the pod because I fucked that one up. I was like, I'm what? gonna tee it off. Ah, wrong. Totally person. doesn't matter. All right. 
Well, anyways, regardless of who picked it, we're talking about who framed Roger Rabbit next. It'll be a blast. Lots to cover. Uh, but until we get to uh, mixing live action and animation, uh, I'm Adam. I'm Britt. And I'm Joey. And we will see you in Toontown for Who Framed Roger Rabbit.